guys, and man, your pastor would get me all fired up and uh, just talk about the things that he was talking about, because uh, that is exactly what I want to talk about today, um, that, you know, every one of us, we're, we're not all evangelists, I'm an evangelist, and I'll explain that more to you as we go, and you'll probably pick up on that as we go. Uh, I am an evangelist. It's my gifting. It's my passion. It's you know, all those things rolled in one. But we're all witnesses. Mm-hmm. Well, that, that is, if if you know Jesus, how many of you in this room would say, "Yes, Jesus is my Savior. He, I love Him." All that. Well, put Him up high. Don't. Okay, let's have a training session right now. And so, anytime somebody asks you if you're a Christian, don't ever. Cause see, I see this every day. Every day. Don't, if, I, if I say, are you a Christian, and ask you to raise your hand, don't ever do this, what is that? What does that mean? Is that like, I'm not sure, or I'm ashamed, or I, I'm a halfway Christian? How many halfway Christians we got in here? Oh, good. Okay, so yeah, if you're trusting Jesus as your Savior, do, it, do this. And in fact, I would even go a little further than that. I was in a church in North Alabama, it's been years ago now. And there was a young boy on the front row. I guess at that time he was probably maybe nine or ten years old. And I asked the church, I said, uh, how many of you are Christians? And Because I like to, usually when I'm preaching, I like to kind of gauge. I mean, how many people here aren't Christians? Because I'm probably, if there's somebody that is not saved, that's kind of who I'm going after during my message. And so I kind of gauged that, and I asked how many are Christians, and I was getting the typical, you know, mean looks and halfway, I'm a Christian, that type of stuff. Um, and that confuses me just a little. But in the midst of, uh, of everybody, you know, di- doing their different little things about Christ- being a Christian, this little guy on the front row said, how many of you are Christians? He literally, like, jump. I don't even know how you jump up off him. He's like on a pew, and he jumps up, lands out in the middle of the floor, pumps his fist up in the air and says, Yeah, me! <laughs> I said, Lord to God, I went over there and high-fived him and I told him, I said, that's, yeah, are you a Christian? That's how you do it. And so after the service, somebody came up to me and said, you'll, you'll have to excuse him. He's, he's a little million. <laughs> and I looked right at him and I said, wasn't that amazing? He's the only one that knew the right answer. <laughs> Yeah, mentally challenged or not, he knew he knew he loves Jesus. And really, you know, that's kind of where I want to go today. Everybody, look up here at me for just a minute. I want you to get this. I, really, when it comes to training people to do evangelism, don't, don't misunderstand me. I I want to do some training. I want to challenge you in a variety of ways of doing evangelism. But I think more important than methodology is passion that I'm on fire for Jesus. Because, see, something happened to me the night I got saved. I was a drug addict. My life was out of control. And I mean, I, I mean, I was a hopeless drug addict, documented from psychiatrists that I had destroyed my brain with drugs and alcohol, that I, they sent reports to my parents to say, your son will never be normal. So, I mean, all that going on, and then Jesus and his mercy and his grace, while everybody else was telling me that I would never change, I'd never amount to anything, I'd be a drug addict until the day I died, I heard it over and over and over, 
Jesus in his mercy raised up some people just like you, just mm -hmm. normal Christians, that came to me while the devil was sending witnesses left and right because that's what those were, those people that were coming to me and saying, you're a hopeless case, you'll never amount to anything, you'll be a drug addict until the day you die. What were they doing? They were witnessing for the devil. That's right. They were, they were coming and bringing a message of hopelessness to me. And I was receiving it. I was hearing it. And I was receiving it. And it was taking root in my heart. And so God raised up a few just regular old people to come and speak into my life. In fact, one of them was a girl that I had known on the streets. And she was like, she was like a female version of me. She was out of control. Drug addict. Shooting dope in her veins. She was crazy. And, uh, but I hadn't seen her. It, you know, weird. She kind of disappeared off the streets, and I hadn't seen her for about a year. Well, come to find out, she went away and went into a program called Teen Challenge. And one day I'm walking down the street, and I run into her, and I was like, hey, Pat, what's up? Where you been? And she began to tell me what Jesus Christ had done in her life. And she said to me, she said, Ken, if he can change my life, he can change your life. And I couldn't escape from those words. Those words began to work inside of me. That if he could change her, he could change me. And then somebody else came to me and, and quoted um, 2 Corinthians 5.17, if any man be in Christ, he or she is a new creature. Old things pass away, all things become new. And that began to take root inside of me. That I could be a new creation. And so what happened? God was raising up just regular people who were witnesses, who were willing willing to share just what your pastor said, willing to share what they knew, what they knew, with me. And God used that so that one night I laid in my bed and I said, God, I'm sick of being a drug addict. I'm tired of my sin. I'm tired of the way my life is going. If you can do anything with what's left, you can, you can have me. Now, I also, I went into the Teen Challenge program and... Uh, Actually, originally I went into a ministry called Outreach Ministries of Alabama. It's about an hour and 45 minutes from here in Valamosa Springs, Alabama. And uh, the man that founded that ministry, a man named Jim Summers, um, helped get me out of jail and into that program. I was there for three months. I went on to Teen Challenge out in Missouri for another 10 months. And then when I came back to Huntsville, Alabama... Actually, I was just kind of biding my time for a few months because while I was in the Teen Challenge program, God called me to ministry. So I was preparing to go out to Springfield, Missouri and go to Central Bible College. And, uh, but I had a little interval there, a few months before Bible College started. So I went back to Huntsville where I knew pretty much, pretty much no Christians, at least no Christians my age, nobody that I would hang out with. And and uh, so everybody I knew in Huntsville was a drug addict, basically. And so, um, I mean, I knew I had enough sense to know I can't go hang out with my old buddies. That ain't going to work. And so I started hanging out at the ministry that I came to the Lord through. And while I was there, I got involved with the evangelism team. And on the evangelism team, I met a young lady named Sonia, who just happened to be Jim Summers, the director's daughter. And so we married... We went off to Bible college together. Actually, it was like a year, year and a half later that we married. But eventually, we ended up at Bible college together. Um, got out of Bible college, and I thought I was going to pastor. And 
kind of started walking down that road and realized pretty quickly that it's just not who I was, that that wasn't my passion, that my passion was to go find godless heathens. I mean, just messed up people that to go find them and lead them to Jesus and help them grow up in Jesus. That's what was in me. And so really that became a kind of a focal point of what we do. I actually did pastor for 12 years. Um, but even during that time, very much our emphasis was a lot like this church. That's one thing I really feel connected with with you guys is that there's a real passion to reach out and, and uh, make a difference in the lives of real people that are out there, you know, struggling. And um, so after I went through Teen Challenge and I got out, um, I told you I started hanging, hanging out around the ministry. I got involved with an evangelism team because, I mean, you know, you got to do something, right? And I, the only thing I knew how to do was go out and party. And so I started hanging out with, you know, with other Christians. And, um, but then, you know, even that, I mean, our evangelism team went out once a week. So I got six other nights of the week, you know, what am I going to do then? And so I'm going to tell you, there was something inside of me that was burning. It was a love for Jesus, a gratitude for what he had done for me, and a burden for people just like me. And so I just started originally just walking the streets and finding people that were messed up and sharing the gospel with them. And people started coming to Christ. And God just kept kind of expanding that ministry. The doors began to open for me to go into jails and prisons and share what Christ had done in my life. Even, even into Houston, I used to get a lot of invites into high schools here in Alabama and other states and go in and preach the gospel in high schools. I, I don't even know how they got away with that, but we did. And um, um, God just kept growing and expanding what he was doing through my life. And uh, I began to discover more and more that there were really kind of uh, kind of two things that really make me tick. One is to be out sharing the gospel, whether it's from a pulpit or whether it's one-on-one, -on -one, to be out sharing the gospel with people that need to get saved. That really, that really makes me tick. The second thing that I began to discover that really, really makes me tick is to train other people to do the same thing. And so you find me today very much in my element to hang out with people like you. I mean, I'll be honest with you. Um, how can I put this nicely? Uh, well, I mean, I told Brian earlier, he said, we'll have 25 to 30 people. I said, what? I said, if you have 25 to 30 people come out on a Saturday morning for evangelism training, I'm just going to faint and fall in the floor because... Most churches, if I can get six or eight people to come get trained to share their faith, that's something. Now, I know that uh, some of you might be in a situation where you have to be here. I don't know. But bottom line is you're here. That's right. And I see, just looking around, a hunger and a thirst and a desire to be more effective, to be able to, to share your faith in such a way that people respond. And so that's the same thing, really, that happened to me very early on. I just had a passion to share Jesus with others, and then I, there was something inside of me that said, I, I would really like to be good at this. I'd really like to learn and to grow. I, I remember the first time I ever shared my faith, it was very confrontational, and we will, at some point during these hours, we will 
we will look at types of evangelism and we will roll through a series of types. Certainly, it won't be exhaustive. There's probably as many types of evangelism as there are people. Um, But we're going to look at some basic concepts of evangelism, types, and we'll start with highly confrontational and we'll move to highly relational. And let me just say, I'll say this again when we get to that point, but let me just say this, that the more relational your evangelism is, the more effective it's going to be. I mean, bottom line is, if if we're like really close friends, and you're, I'm saved and you're not, I mean, eventually there's, I'm going to have opportunity, over and over and over really, I'm with what I say and even with how I live and how I think, I mean, everything, you're going to be seeing that. And so I'm going to have a lot of impact in his life because we're friends or we're brothers or we're cousins or whatever. we got relationship. Um, however, I think sometimes in the church, we mistakenly think that because relational, the more relational evangelism uh, the, or the more relational types of evangelism are more effective, that that means that that's all we do. That confrontational evangelism is not important. It's not as effective, and so it's not important, and we're not comfortable with it anyway, so let's just don't do it. Let me just say that there's some of you that probably can't do confrontational evangelism, but then there's some of us in this room, me being one of them, that we can. We can. I don't mind confronting people at all. And so I feel like confrontational evangelism is important. Why is that? Well, because, bottom line, like I'm going to leave, uh, I'll leave Thursday to go down to New Orleans. We go down every year during Mardi Gras, and we preach Jesus on the streets in the French Quarter of New Orleans. And, uh, you know, it's not for everybody, because it's, man, it's crazy. I mean, probably some of you have been down there during Mardi Gras, it's crazy. And it's, uh, Probably more than a lot of people could handle. In fact, I know it is. I've taken pastors down there with me, and they said, I'll never come down here again. <laughs> so, And I'm like, it, what's really funny to me is that I'm like, I can't wait to get down here again. So, I mean, it's just different mentalities. But the bottom line is this. I kind of feel like if the devil is going to draw 1.5 million people into a few square blocks to party their brains out, where in the world should the church be? I need to be down there sharing Jesus because I've got open opportunity to share Christ with so many people. And what I've discovered is that I'm going to share Christ with people on the streets, not just in New Orleans, but in Huntsville, Alabama, and right here. I'm going to share people Christ with people on the streets that will never hear otherwise. They're not going to hear. And they're not coming to church. I mean, we've all got our story. I mean, I mean, I've seen it happen, and I'm, I praise God every time it does happen that somebody just, you know, inadvertently pulls in the parking lot, or they have a flat tire right in front of the church, or whatever happens, but they end up in the church and they get saved and praise God. But here, and I'm, a, and I am praising God for that. I'm grateful for that. I've had that happen in services where I was ministering. Somebody just stumbled in somehow, and they got saved. But you realize while that one person stumbled in and got saved, there was probably 100,000 more that drove by the church that didn't stumble in and get saved. And so we can't take a mentality that says, well, too bad for them. No, no, no. We've got to get the gospel to them. And sometimes the only way to do it is to walk right into their world and say, 
here I am and I got some information you need. So we'll talk more about types of evangelism in a few, but I want to start with this concept and you've got a worksheet. I want to talk about um, theology because although we don't really, I mean generally in the church people kind of don't like theology. I mean I hear people say stuff all the time like, um, you know, I don't. I don't want to get theological on you, or I we love it. too much time. We love it. You do love sure. theology? Yeah. Okay, good. Because theology basically is just teaching. I mean, it's just biblical teaching. And so we want to know what does the Bible say, right? And of course, we want to live. How many want to live according to the Word of God? Yeah, okay, it's unanimous. Praise God. And so, and that's pretty amazing on a Saturday morning that y'all could all lift your hands. Because, <laughs> you know, usually I'll do that and like five people raise their hand because everybody else is just too tired to get their hand up there. But anyway, you all raise your hand and you want biblical teaching because we want to live according to the word of God. And so I believe this is actually a big problem in the church at large is that we don't have good theology when it comes to going out and sharing our faith. And so if I don't have good theology, and it's a little uncomfortable anyway, then the likelihood of me doing it is almost zero. I mean, if, if I don't think it's really necessary, if I don't understand that it's biblical, and then I really don't feel comfortable doing it anyway, then probably I'm just not even going to do it. So, we want theology and we want passion. And when I say passion, I know that's a word that can be used a different way. It means fire. It means desire. So we want the passion of Jesus burning in our hearts and biblical theology. So, theology of street or personal evangelism. And I use the terminology street evangelism in this sense that we are, we are going to gain an understanding that we need to walk out these doors. And when we do, out there is where we share the gospel. It's out on the streets, out in everyday life out at wherever, whether I'm walking, literally walking the street, or I'm in Walmart, or I'm at work, or I'm wherever in my neighborhood, we understand that we're going to take the gospel outside of the four walls of our church building where we meet. So let me give you some definitions. Number one, evangelism. <coughs> evangelism, the spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or by personal witness. The spreading of the Christian gospel by public preaching or personal witness. And then there's the term gospel. Gospel very simply means good news. Good news. And a little more expanded definition would be the message of forgiveness through the finished work of Christ. The message of forgiveness through the finished work of Christ. Did we give out all those worksheets for out of I want one. I'm going to grab one too. I'm sorry. No, no problem. Why are you sorry? Okay, then number three, or the third uh, definition there is the faith. The faith. And the faith doesn't mean our own personal belief or faith in the sense of our trusting God. I mean, of course, there is that concept of faith, but by the terminology, the faith means the essential truths of the gospel that all true Christians hold in common. 
the essential truths of the gospel that all true Christians hold in common. For example, Jude 1, 3. I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. The faith is valuable, it's all-inclusive, and it must be guarded earnestly. So on that, on that note, let me say that sometimes, and even I have had this way of thinking, that, okay, I don't want to get in a theological argument with you. Well, bottom line is, if, and if you have blanks that need to be filled, don't hesitate to just ask me and I'll, I'll clarify stuff for you. Um, the bottom line is, when I'm talking to people on the streets now, they are so messed up in what they think. It's just unbelievable. Unbelievable what people believe. And, um, you know, I don't, I don't want to get in a theological argument with them, but I do want them to understand the truth. And sometimes it means that I've got to confront their weird beliefs and say, wait a minute, on what basis are you believing this? Like, me and a buddy of mine were on the streets a while back, and we were talking to a young couple on the streets, and she, she was kind of, well, I mean, let me just say what she was saying. She basically was saying, well, I, I believe that, I just believe that we, you know, we all think thoughts, and those thoughts have power, and those thoughts create the life that we want. And, and I mean, I'm, I'm looking at their life, and their life was pretty pathetic. I mean, just vision. You could see that they, they're homeless, they're, they're strung out, they're, I mean, there's not a lot of good going on here. And so I believe that you just have these thoughts. And, and she went on for a little while, and my buddy just sat and listened to her, and then finally he just stopped her, and he said, okay, well, let me ask you a question. So your thoughts are creating the life that you want. Um, so tell me, how's that working out for you? And she looked at him like, what? And he said, yeah, tell me, your, your thoughts are creating the life you want. So do you, you have the life you want? She started weeping. She said, no, I don't have the life I want. I want my life. It's horrible. And, you know, just by, just by him confronting one little false belief she had, her whole thing fell apart. And so we can't just have a mentality that says, oh, I'm, never, I'm not going to talk theology with people. No, no, no. People are warped in what they're thinking. And we've got to go out and confront them with the truth. And so, you know what? He did confront her with the truth, and he led her to Jesus right then and there. So, um, yeah. So here's an opportunity. Okay, what I want to do is I want to real quickly, hopefully I can be really quick with this. Real quickly, I want to uh, uh, deal with a lot of scripture. And... Um, I'm trying to figure out how much of this I want to actually read to you, but I do need to do need to read some. Well, let's let's begin with Mark 16, verses 15 and 20, and this is called the Great Commission. The Great Commission. The Great Commission. How many ever heard of the Great Commission? Can you tell me basically what it is? Somebody tell me what it is. What's the Great Commission? Going all the world for your God. Go into all the world, preach the gospel. Can somebody give me another, maybe another slant on it? How about how about this one? How about Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to twenty? You can jot that in your notes. That's another place where the Great Commission is found. Jesus said, "Listen, Matthew eight, uh, Matthew twenty-eight, eighteen to twenty. Jesus said, "All authority 
in heaven and on earth belongs to me. You therefore go, make disciples of every nation, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now that's, guys, I'm going to tell you something. That's powerful stuff right there. You need to, you need to memorize that little segment of scripture. Go, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. You therefore go. What does that mean? That means I'm going to give you the authority and the power I have. I'm going to give it to you. And so you go into all the world and make disciples. I, I like that because although I really love the Mark 16, 15 version, go into all the world and preach the gospel because I like preaching. I mean, I don't just like doing the preaching. I like hearing preaching. I like preaching in pulpits. I like preaching on the streets. In fact, I I know that we think of it as a little weird, and probably not all of us are gifted to do this, but I like it when I see, like, I, I saw a buddy of mine just recently. There was a crowd gathered on a street corner, and I saw him looking around. I thought, what's he doing? What's he fixing to do? And I saw him look, and he found a chair somewhere, and he ran, he got that chair, and he took that chair, and he sat right in the middle of that, that crowd of people, and he jumped up on that chair, and he said, hey, 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 everybody, everybody, hey, hey, look here. And he got everybody's attention, and he began preaching the gospel to them. Well, you know, I know that's probably not what every one of us are going to do, but that's him. He's an in-your-face, frontline evangelist, and he preached a really, really powerful message in about maybe 90 seconds, really fast. He preached a clear, powerful presentation of how you come to Jesus. And yeah, I was I, I just stood there and watched all of it. I was going, yeah. Actually, I didn't, I didn't totally just stand there because while he was preaching, this guy that was half drunk came up and started hollering at him. And so I went over there and grabbed Mr. Drunk Boy and I said, hey, come talk to me a minute. And I drug him off to the side so he could keep preaching. And I talked to Drunk Boy while he <laughs> preached. But, um, but here's the thing. There's all different ways, all different, but there's that responsibility to preach the gospel and to make disciples. You, you know what? You may think, I gotta go make disciples? How am I gonna how do I do that? Well, can I just tell you that it's not nearly as hard as we make it. We make it so complex, like, oh, you gotta you gotta be pastor to do it. That's the only <coughs> only pastor to do it. Only maybe that crazy evangelist he could do it, but how could I no no no. Making disciples, all it involves really is you being willing to be a part of somebody's life. And the fact is you already are. But you're just not very intentional about it. And so, I mean, I just talked to my, I had staff meeting yesterday morning, and I talked to my staff about being intentional all the time. And so when you're interacting with people in your ministry, you don't waste time. Well, it goes beyond that. It goes beyond just in the concept of ministry. It's in all of life. So, you know, nine times out of ten, if, if Brian says, hey, man, let's meet and let's have dinner, I'm praying about that, about having dinner with him. I'm saying, God, make this go the way you want it to go. 
And Lord, give me, if you want me to bring anything up, give me, give me what I need to bring up. Because I don't want to waste time with me and him. Now I know, I know if he and I sit down to dinner, more than likely Alabama football is going to be discussed. That's fine. We'll do a little Alabama football. And, you know, I don't know, maybe even some political themes might be discussed. But the bottom line is, I want to be intentional about our meeting. I don't want to come away from that meeting and it was just dead time. And that's a lot of times what we do. We spend our whole life just kind of with meaningless discussion. No, no, no. How about you just step it up a little bit and say, you know what? I want to impart some of myself into these people that I'm getting there. And, and here's the deal. You know, I was one time... I was uh, I was thinking about where the Lord says that when we stand before Him on that day, He's going to say, "Well done, well done, good, faithful servant. Enter into the joy of your Lord." And I thought to myself, God, how? How does that happen? Is that just like automatic? Is it kind of like upwards basketball? Everybody gets a trophy, everybody gets in? No, I don't think so. Bottom line is, he's only going to say well done if it was really well done. He's only going to say good and faithful servant if I, I actually was a good and faithful servant. And so I asked the Lord about that. I said, hey, God, how, what? I mean, I know I'm saved. I trust, my faith and trust is in Christ, right? I mean, he shed his blood for me. Paid the price for my sin. That's how I'm saved. But for him to say to me, good and faithful servant, what has to transpire? And I know God spoke to me in that moment because I wasn't, I was legitimately asking God, what do I need to do in order to hear you say good and faithful servant? He said, Ken, just take everything I poured into you and poured into others. And I realized in that moment, he's not just talking about this. This is good too. I mean, we meet together. But he's not just talking about the classroom setting. He's talking about life. Right. Life. That everywhere I go, everybody I meet, I try to make their life better. Right. I try to impart something of what he's done in me into them. And what is that called? It's called evangelism and discipleship. That's it. That's what it is. Just you imparting what he's done in you to other people. That's it. Yeah. And so we become, we've got to become intentional. You've got a testimony, right? That's your story. In fact, I like story better than testimony because testimony sounds a little preachy. But you've got a story. And incidentally, that's, I, that's the terminology I use most of the time when I talk to somebody in the street. I mean, I strike up a conversation. We get to talking, and then at some point I'll say, hey, can I, can I share my story with you? And do you know that out of literally doing that thousands of times, I can count on one hand how many people have said to me, no, I don't want to hear. The vast majority of people not only say, yes, you can, most of them say something like, oh, I, I would love for you to share your story. And now if I said testimony, that might freak them out a little bit. Because either they don't know what it means or they do know what it means. And either way, that might be a no-go. So I don't say, can I share my testimony with you? I say, can I share my story with you? And yeah, sure. And my story just happens to be that I was lost as a goose and Jesus saved me. So yeah, it's, a, it's an opportunity for us to share the gospel. So he said, go into all the world, preach the gospel, make disciples. This is the Great Commission. And this is really, 
um, as far as the theology of evangelism, this is the keynote passage in the scriptures. The keynote passage, Mark 16, 15, and 20, uh, the Great Commission. As far as theology of evangelism, this is the keynote passage in the scriptures. Let me just say something about that word commission, then we'll move on. Commission. What does it mean? Well, you just put a, if you just dis- divide it between the M's there, com, C-O-M, means with. Mission means assignment, job, responsibility. So, with a mission, with a purpose, with responsibility, with a task. However you want to define it. I mean, it's all right there. This is the great with a mission, a task, a responsibility, a job. It's God says this is the great one. I'm giving it to you. Here's your job. Go tell people about Jesus. What I just said to you is absolutely 100% biblical. The great command. I mean, you've heard people say, "Let's keep the main thing the main thing." How many have heard that expression? Let's keep the main thing the main thing. This is it. This is it. I, I, I'm not saying everybody has to do it this way, but I have. A, I had a dear friend that was a pastor. He's actually went on to be with the Lord, but he said every staff meeting when his staff would come together, he pastored a pretty good church, pretty large church, and but no, it was a pretty good church too because it was very solid, very sound, very focused on reaching the community. And he said, every staff meeting, he said, I read the Great Commission to them, and I said, I say to them, if what we're doing isn't accomplishing this, let's don't do it. This is our job. This is our job. Say it's our job. Our job. Yep. Luke 14, 15 through 24. Well, I got to read this to you because it's just so good. So good. Luke 14. 15 through 24, listen to this. And one of those who were reclining at the table with him heard this and said to him, Blessed is everyone who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. And so Jesus told parables. He said, A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner, at the, at the dinner hour, he sent out his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. And here's the deal. This is the problem right here. They all began to make excuses. The first one said, I have uh, bought a piece of land. I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. Mm-hmm. Another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen. and I'm going out to try them. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife. And for that reason, I cannot come. The slave came back and reported this to his master, and then the head of the house became angry and said to his slave, go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city. Listen, listen, perk up your ears and listen to this part. Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. The slave said, master, what you've commanded has been done and still there's room. The master said, go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come into my house, that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who are invited shall taste of my dinner. Now, let me just say that this is, this is uh, on the first level, this is Jesus the Messiah speaking about how the gospel came first to the Jews. And then, because of a rejection by 
many of the Jews, and especially the Jewish leadership, the gospel went to the prostitutes, the tax gatherers, the outcasts of the Jewish nation, and then from there it actually went to the Gentiles, and thank God it went to the outcasts and to the Gentiles, because that's why you and I are here, okay? Um, Because even in our own society, in our own world, many of us in this room were outcasts. How many were kind of outcasts? Yeah, most of us in this room. So thank God that it went that route. But I believe also it's a picture of evangelism. That there are the, um, how can I put it? You know, we, we think, we think, okay, well, if only the movie stars and the, you know, the, the entertainers, the big shots could get saved, boy, they could be so powerful. Well, I'm not saying it wouldn't be powerful, but bottom line is this. It seems to me that God is really going after like us, us, and he thinks that's powerful enough. And so he says here, well, well, let me fill in your blanks. We may be here for all eternity. The first, uh, the first bullet point under Luke 14, 15 to 24. This is the parable of the feast, the parable of the feast, the first bullet point. His kingdom and his subjects may look very different than some expect. Yeah, that's right. His kingdom and his subjects may look very different than some expect. expect. Let me, can I give you an example? And you probably, many of you in this room can relate to this. I take my guys who, I'll be honest with you, the guys that I'm pouring into right now are, I mean, I don't know that all of them will make it, but I can tell you right now, I've got a great bunch of guys that love God and are seeking God. And they're in the word and they're, I mean, they're like, beg, they beg me, take us out on the streets to witness. I mean, they're like on fire. But you know what? I drag my guys because they're all well, drug addicts. So I take my guys into local churches and I just get tickled because I can see people are scared of them. They kind of avoid it, you know. We're seated over here and everybody kind of moves away and I see people like looking at them and all that kind of stuff and they're outcasts. You know what I know is that a lot of those people that are looking askance at them that are sitting there and they're all dressed nice and look all, everything's in place. They're drug addicts too. That's right. They're, they're hooked on all kinds of stuff. Their doctor gave it to them and they think that makes it okay, but they're just as addicted as my guys were. Only my guys are free now and seeking God and trying to overcome. And so it's kind of a, to me, it's kind of a weird mix going on there. Well, what I'm saying is this. His kingdom is made up of those who abandon their hearts to him. That's right. That's it. That's it. So his kingdom and his subjects may look very different than some expect. Those who have been invited all made excuses, even though they had plenty of advance notice. I mean, you could say, oh, the dude just married his wife. I mean, why is the the master of the house all ticked off about that? No, no, no. They had plenty of advance notice. It's not like he went out and told them today and I said, I'm sorry, I got stuff going. No, no, no. They knew. They just came up with other stuff. They they, They had reasons why they couldn't be a part of what he was doing. So they, they, all, they all made excuses, even though they had advance notice. The master's heart is a heart of invitation and celebration. The master's heart is a heart of invitation and celebration. What I'm giving you here is basic theology we can take out of this story. 
The master's heart is one of invitation and celebration. Friend, listen to me. Let that sink inside of you. Because you know what? Me just saying that to you again out of my notes makes me want to hit the streets and share the gospel. <laughs> it does. Because I know that his heart is a heart of invitation. That his heart is saying, I want them to come. Right. I want them to have opportunity. And if they'll come, we're going to celebrate. We're going to have a party up in my house. And so, I mean, that's, that's what this whole story is about. So his heart is one of invitation and celebration. He opens his door to the unclean and the outcast. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. That when everybody said I was hopeless, you loved me. Thank you, God. Thank you. He opens his door to the unclean and the outcast. His servants, his servants anticipate and share his heart for the lost. His servants anticipate and share his heart for the lost. Write that down and then look at me. Do you notice there in the end of the story, he said, go out in the streets of the city. Find the broken, the messed up, the lame, the outcast. Find all those people. Bring them into my house because we're about to have a celebration up in here. Bring them into my house. And what did the servant say? The servant said, Master, what's on your heart we've already done. And there's still plenty of and he said, then go out into the highways and hedges, go everywhere and compel them to come into my house. I like that servant. I like that servant that he was already in. He said, I know how my master is, so I'm going to just go out and bring him in. And he said, we did it. Lord, we did it, but there's still room. And he knew the heart of the Lord was to get back out there and do it again. I'm going to tell you something, man. If there's anything that says fires me up to say, man, i got to go out and find people that need Jesus. I'm going to give you some ideas of where you can find people, but you know what? The best place to find them is right in the routine of your life. That's right. That's, That's where you find them. Where you work, where you play, at your Starbucks, at, at your Walmart, at, at your neighborhood, wherever, wherever your life carries you day in and day out. That's where you find them. They're all around you. People that are lost. Oh, but everybody I know says they're a Christian. Well, I've got to teach you Real quick, how to debunk that. Somebody says to me, because I do that all the time. I'll walk up to somebody and start talking to them. And, you know, oh, no, I'm a Christian. And I'll say, well, I, I praise God. Tell me, how do you get saved? And they're going. You know why they're doing that? Because they didn't get saved. They don't even know what I mean, got saved. They don't even understand. They don't know the gospel. And so they, they learn, they've learned to get rid of Christians by saying, I am a Christian. But then you just take it one step further. They're, they're not a Christian at all. And so you know what? Then you know what I do with somebody like that? I'll say to them, hey, could, could I just share the gospel? Could I explain to you the gospel? And I don't think I've ever had one time that somebody said, no, I want to hear it. They're like, sure. And many times by the time I finish sharing the basics of the gospel with them, there's tears streaming down their face because they know they need to get right with God. They need to get right with God. Acts, Acts 1, 7 and 8. This is the promise of power. This is the promise of power. Acts 1, 7 and 8. Another. Man, all these passages, I just want to... I mean, you don't even know. Every one of these, I want to preach. I just want to preach. Now, what we're doing, we're going to take breaks periodically, but it doesn't... I mean, it can be when I want to take it, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So we'll go a little further here. Yeah. Well, I mean, I don't mean we're going to go all day and then take a break. We'll take a break at 3 o'clock this afternoon. No. Um, 
no, I do want to finish this and then we'll take a break and pick up. And probably the notes are not going to fall on the break, so don't get don't get tore up about that. And probably we're not going to finish all the notes. I doubt it. I doubt very seriously we will. So it you'll live through that, I promise. <laughs> Acts 1, 7, and 8, listen to this. So good. So good. Um I think I want to read more than that. Let's start with verse 6. Acts 1, verse 6. And so when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said, it's not for you to know the times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and all Judea, Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Let me fill in your blanks and I want to talk to you. We are receiving his kingdom. We are receiving his kingdom. This is under the promise of power. We are receiving his kingdom. We are receiving his anointing. We are receiving his inheritance. We're receiving his kingdom his anointing, and his inheritance. And so let me let me talk to you for just a minute. These guys, you know, I mean, they did all kinds of stuff. They they literally abandoned their profession. They, I mean, think about. I don't, I don't know if you ever thought about this. Look up here for me just a minute. I'll fill. I'll I'll cover your blanks if we don't get them all. Um, I don't know if you've ever thought about this, but you remember when Jesus came along and said. To a couple of the disciples, they were in their they were in their boat washing their nets, and he said, "Come, come after me. I'll make you fishers of men." And they left their nets and the boat and their father, and they got up and they went after him. Now, let me say first of all that when we read that, we think that it, that's the only time they'd ever seen Jesus. Like he walks up, like with some kind of weird. You know, squirrely eyes and looks at him and says, Come, follow me, on me. and they go, <laughs> It's not like that at all. They they had met Jesus on a number of occasions by this point. They had heard his message, they'd seen what he was doing. And but now it's decision time. Now he's saying to them, What are you gonna do? You gonna keep going down your road or do you wanna come walk with me? And so that moment of decision comes. But think about it. Even that, even though they had met him before, they had time to size this up, think what they're leaving. This is the family business. I mean, this, this would be the same as if your parents built a restaurant. And, you know, there's a restaurant here in the area that's highly successful. And you are right. Basically, you, are, you already run the restaurant for them. You're right on the cusp of them turning over that highly successful business to you. And factor in also that there was not all of the government programs that we've got today. So you successfully navigating that business into the future is their retirement. It's your parents' retirement. So all of this is what was going on with that boat. And he says, come follow me and I'll make you fishers of men. And when they dropped the nets and left the boat... I'm sure Dad was going, what? What in the world? Because this is the future. I mean, this was a huge, huge decision that they decided to, well, I'm going to tell you something. This is the kingdom. I mean, this it is a huge decision. 
And the fact that for the most part of Western culture, we've had it, we've had it pretty easy. You know, it doesn't cost very much to be a Christian. You know, I'm dealing with people right now because we've, we've helped train. We've got missionaries in very, very difficult and sensitive parts of the world. And, I mean, we're dealing with people that when they get saved, they're, out, they're cut off from their family. They can't get a job anymore. They can't. I mean, it cost them everything because they decided to forsake Islam and become a Christian. It's like a major thing. Well, here they are at this moment. They look at Jesus and say, now we were banking on the fact that you were going to restore the glory days to Israel. That's primarily why they sold out. I mean, it wasn't, I mean, I hate to say this, it looks like it wasn't really, they weren't saying, oh, Jesus is so wonderful, let's go follow him. They were thinking that he was going to be like a military savior, that he was going to restore the kingdom. He was, I mean, it's really, um, I mean, it's a lot like fandom is to us. You know, are you go, or, or who's number one? That kind of thing. And so, you know, I mean, we live in Alabama, so we live with number one a lot. But anyway. Um, yeah, but, uh, but I mean, think about this. It doesn't matter who's playing. I mean, if you go to, let's say that Tennessee is playing Mercer State. I mean, I hope you're not a graduate of Mercer State, but. And you scan the crowd. All the Tennessee people are doing this. Well, yeah, well, Tennessee, they're not number one. <laughs> then you get to Mercer State. And what are the fans from Mercer State doing? They're also going number one. What? You had not even sniffed number one. I mean, you're not, you're not even. But it's like, that's, it's like this thing in everybody. We want, we want to be returned to the glory days. We want to be the best. We want to be the greatest. And. You know, even like currently in America, make America great again. And oh, don't misunderstand me. I'm all, I love my nation and I'm all for making America as great as it can be. And I'm just going to tell you that what would make it the greatest it could ever be would be for us to wholesale turn our hearts back to Jesus. That would be at the top of the, the heap. But the bottom line is this, all that we want to be the best. Well, I'm American. I think, you know, I think it's great greatest nation on the face of the earth but you know what I got friends in Germany and they think their nation's great too and you know so no it's not really about that it's about the kingdom of God that's what he's saying here you got your eyes on the wrong goal what I want for you is I want for you a kingdom and it's actually a, a, a the, it's not the kingdom of Israel or the kingdom of America or the king. No, it's the kingdom of God. It's that he's raising up for himself a people from every nation, tongue, tribe, under heaven. That's what he's doing. I was having coffee one morning on my back porch. I read out of Revelation 7, 9, and there was a crowd, a, a crowd from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people under heaven, a crowd nobody could number, and they were waving palm branches, and they're going, Hosanna, glory to God in the highest, and all that stuff is going on. I'm reading about it. I'm getting all pumped up reading about this great day with this massive crowd. Everybody's praising God, and they're from everywhere on the whole planet, and the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you're going to be there on that day. It's like, what? <laughs> yeah, I am. I mean, we can read that like it's just some faraway thing that's never actually going to happen. No, he said that's a day. That is a real day, and it's coming, and you're going to be there. I was like, man, 
Glory to God. And then he spoke to me again. And he said, not only are you going to be there, you're going to be right in the thick of the crowd. You're going to be participating. You're going to be waving your palm. I don't know what the deal is with palm branches, but <laughs> you're going to be waving your palm branches, praising God. I'm going to tell you something, guys. It's, it's always better to be in the thick of it. I mean, it's like one thing to watch. I mean, it's to watch a sporting event, or or even like like for years, me and my kids have watched Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade on TV. Well, one year, it's been a few years back now. I decided to load them all up and take them to New York City, and I went out at four o'clock in the morning and got us a front row seat, and we watched the parade right there. Well, I'm gonna tell you something. Macy's Thanksgiving Day Parade, live in person, front row, is a hundred times better. Hundred times better. It's just better to be there. And to be right in the thick of it, to be participating. And then he said one more thing to me. He said, not only are you going to be there and you're going to be participating, but today you're making that day happen. Well, what does that mean? Well, that means there's a crowd there so big that nobody can number it. Nobody can number it? I mean, can God number it? Well, I'm sure he could. But, I mean, it's like even with all our abilities to number crowds, the emphasis here is it's a massive crowd. And they're from every nation, every tongue, every tribe, every people under heaven. They're from everywhere, this massive crowd. And the Lord spoke to my heart and said, you're making that day happen. You are too. That's right. Not just me. That's right. It's all of us. When I go out to others and I share the gospel and God opens their heart and they come to Christ, guess what? They're going to be there on that day too. I had the privilege, I had the privilege several years ago, a few, well, probably 10 years ago now, um, I was invited, I was in India, and I was invited way up in the mountains to this village where they had never heard the gospel. They had been, there had been some people going in and doing some basic Bible teaching, but they had never heard an explanation of how you come to Christ. And so we literally went and spent pretty much all day with them. We had a big lunch with them out on the, out on the side of a hill. 240 people in this village. And I spent most of the afternoon explaining, you know, starting at the very beginning, explaining the plan of God and why he sent his son. And finally came to the place where I gave them the opportunity to come to Christ and the whole village stood up to give their life to Christ. Mm-hmm. I was like, step back down. Because I know, I know Hindus, they have a million gods anyway. They don't mind adding one more to their million gods. A million and one, what's the difference? And so, I was afraid that was the mentality. We'll just put Jesus up here with our other million gods. And so I set him back down. I explained, no, no, no. You can't serve God and serve all these million false gods. He's the one true God. And so you're giving up your million gods to serve this God. And I made sure they, they understood that. And then I again said, how many of you want to surrender your life to Christ? The whole village stood up. And that day... I led 240 people in a little mountain village way up in the mountains of Orissa, India. The whole village came to Christ. Well, guess what? Guess what? One day before too long, I'm going to be standing in the midst of a crowd that's without number. And we're going to have palm branches. Again, don't know why. Do you know why palm branches? I have no idea. I don't know why palm branches, but we're going to have them, and I'm going to have to eat one or two. And I'm going to be going, yay, Jesus, yay, Jesus. And guess what? There's going to be 250 Indians, like from India, they're going to be in that crowd with me. There's going to be other people that I've had the opportunity to share Christ with them that came to Jesus in the crowd. They're going to be there. And their children, and their children's children, and their children's children. It's an amazing thing. And listen, 
before we take a break, you don't have to go to the mountains of India for this. Right. Yeah. It can happen right That's here. Right. Yeah. Right here. Um, we just got to be bold. We just got to be bold. We got to come to a place where we say, you know what? I believe I'm supposed to share the gospel, so I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a way. Take a short break. Let's try to keep it about five minutes, and then come back. Yeah, most everybody. Let's do it. Okay, we made it down through um, to Acts five twenty eight. This right and see the blanks too. Acts uh, Acts five twenty eight chapters four and five. We're now we're not gonna for the second time today because we kind of have a limited you know. You know, we're only going to be here a few hours. Um, I'm going to some of this is coming up. I, I'm I'm going to intentionally move pretty fast through it because actually every one of these passages I could I would like to preach for an hour off of them, but I can't. So Acts five uh, twenty eight, actually chapters four and five is the gospel fills the city. The gospel fills the city, and I give you some key references there. Acts 4.18, they commanded them not to speak at all in Jesus' name. Acts 4.18, they commanded them not to speak at all in Jesus' name. Acts 4.20, Peter said, we cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. We cannot stop speaking what we've seen and heard. Okay, let me, look at me for a minute, because I want to talk about that just a little. Um, these authorities that pulled, uh, I believe it was Peter and John right there, that pulled them, it, I mean, pulled them before the governing body and told them, you're not to talk anymore about Jesus. These are the same people that just crucified Christ. Peter knew this. I mean, he knew exactly who they were. And so I want you to realize that this was a, a very scary situation. I mean, they didn't know when they got pulled in are they going to nail them to a trick. And so they said to them, here's what we're going to do. You just, we're going to let you go, but you don't talk anymore about the name of Jesus. Well, now, you know, Peter could have just said, yes, sir. Okay, yes, and then went out and did whatever he wanted to do. But he didn't do that. He looked straight at them and said, Okay, guys, you you know, you gotta do what you gotta do, and I gotta do what I gotta do, but I cannot stop speaking what I've seen and heard. And really, 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 this is if this if there's nothing else I could get to you while we're here together this weekend, this is what I would get to you. That you've got that kind of heart for Jesus. That your relationship with Christ is such that it burns inside of you. And that if somebody were to say to you, don't talk about Jesus anymore, you would have to say, huh, that's, that ain't possible. Because he's burning inside of me and I have to talk about him. And notice what he said. We cannot stop talking about what we have seen and heard. In other words, we can't shut up about our experience with Christ. It's everything to us. And so, really, this is what needs to be in us. That when I go out and I talk to people, it's not like, I mean, I remember when, um, 
I remember when my wife and I were dating, nobody had to like pry information out of me about her. I was crazy about her. I'm still crazy about her. I want to talk about her. I want to, but take that to another level when we're talking about Jesus. That nobody has to beg me to talk about Jesus because I can't wait to find an opportunity to talk about Jesus. So here's what I'm doing most of the time when I when I'm interacting with somebody. I'm trying to hear the Holy Spirit. How can I take this conversation around and confront them about their soul, where they stand with God? I'm looking for a door in, for a way. And I'm going to tell you something. I believe if you begin to pray like that, because everybody, everybody says to me, Ken, give me, give me a good leading line. How can I witness to somebody? That doesn't work. When I mean, somebody's using a, a method on you, you know it, right? Yeah. And you go in a place and a salesman's trying to do his little slick thing on you. You know, I'm being sold. And what I do is, when I feel like a salesman's on me, I'm, I get my guard up. Well, that's the last thing I want when I talk to people about Jesus. I don't want them going, oh yeah, here's another religious guy. He's gonna, And so they get their guard up on me. And so what I do is, I'm, I'm just conversing. But I'm praying, God, show me how to discreetly bring that conversation around to the point where we're talking about eternal things and that I'm confronting them with their soul. And, you know, I, I don't think that's something that you can just give somebody a line. I mean, there are lines out there. I and mean, I, I, as a last resort, I'll even use one. Like if I'm talking to a total stranger and I just can't get anywhere with them, just trying to converse with them, then I may... At some point, say, hey, can I ask you a question? If, if, if you were to die today, where would you spend eternity? Well, that's not the best method, but I mean, if it's last resort, I'll do it. I mean, if that's all I got, if I'm sitting on a bench at the mall and I know this conversation isn't going to last long and I can't get anywhere, then I will just use a line and confront this person with their, you know, where their soul is with, with God. <clears throat> but the best thing is that, that Jesus is burning in me. To the point that I can't help but talk about him. That I'm going to find a way. I'm going to find a door to get into that person's heart and confront them with the gospel. So the gospel fills the city. 519 through 20. Miraculous deliverance and a command to preach. They got thrown in jail because they disobeyed the command. And basically God opened the doors, let them go, and said, keep preaching. Go back out there and preach some more. And, hey, listen, we were just actually, uh, Brian and I were just talking about this. I've got friends in parts of the world where it's illegal for them to preach the gospel. Do you know what we do there? Because I go there with them. You know what we do there? We preach the gospel. We've got to preach the gospel. And so I've been, there's an area of Eastern Europe called uh, uh, Transnistria. Or Predestrovia, depending depend on which side of the conflict you're on. And it's illegal to preach the gospel. So, you know what we do? We preach the gospel. I mean, you're not going to not preach the gospel. And so we preach the gospel. And, and you know what I've seen happen there? Thousands of people come to Christ. Thousands of people. I, I just recently was with uh, friends of mine in northern Iraq. And they're, I, they're young people that I help train. They're missionaries there now. And, um, you know, I mean, I don't know, I don't know whether it's legal or not to preach the gospel, but I know that it's like, it can be fatal to preach the gospel because it's a totally Islamic country. 
And so what do you do? Well, I'm going to tell you what we did. We preached the gospel. We, we went into people's homes, and we told them point blank. I mean, because we were primarily among Syrian refugees and Yazidi refugees, and we would go into their tent, and we would talk to them, and we would say, okay, listen, we came here in order to find out what your needs are because we're doing some humanitarian efforts to help meet needs of refugees. So that's why we came here. But you need to understand that we're Christians. And from our perspective, there's something far more important than what your needs are. Your ultimate need is that you need a Savior. And so we would share the gospel with them. And so is that legal or not legal? Well, there's a higher law. And preaching the gospel is right at the top. 528. They said, you have filled this city with your message. Okay, this is all in sequence. So they told them, don't preach anymore. Then they had to pull them back in because they said, not only did we tell you not to preach Jesus anymore, but now you've filled the city with your message about Jesus. In Acts 5.32, they said, we are witnesses of these things, and so is the Holy Spirit. Okay, I didn't get to do justice to those. I would recommend you go back and read those chapters because that's that's a little power-packed sequence in chapters 4 and 5. Acts 17, 17, the gospel to the marketplace. Acts 17, 17, the gospel to the marketplace. This is Paul at Athens. Athens, Greece, that is. Yeah, I thought I might clarify that. It's not Athens, Alabama. He's preaching in the marketplace every day. That's what it says. Preaching in the marketplace every day. Now, you know, if you go just read all of Acts and see about the early church and all, they were doing this stuff all the time. They would go to the marketplace. Why do you think they went to the marketplace? There's a lot of people there. That's it. There's a lot of people there. That's where the people were. So they went to the marketplace. Let me ask you, what happened when they preached in the marketplace? Can you think of things that happened? Well, people got saved, but what else happened? People got mad. People got mad. Um, they got arrested at times. They got beaten at times. I mean, pretty tough stuff. Um, what is, what would you say, like today where we live, what's the marketplace? Do we have a marketplace? Walmart. Walmart. That would be a marketplace. Well, that too, yeah. yeah. More and more, so social media would be a marketplace. But yeah, Walmart and the mall and it, the places we go to shop, the grocery store. Work. Even at work. Now, of course, there's repercussions. I mean, most places have no soliciting. Um, you know, I'm not trying to get you in trouble, but I am going to tell you this. They preached in the marketplace and they did get in trouble. They did. They, they got beaten. They got arrested. There was a lot of things that happened because they preached in the marketplace. But they preached in the marketplace because that's where the people were and they knew the people needed to hear the gospel. So at some point, we, we've got to decide, do I want to have a nice, clean, easy Christian life or am I about the kingdom of God? Because his kingdom is eternal. We've got a limited space of time to get the truth of the gospel to the people around us. 
And if they don't hear, they're lost. You know that, right? I know we live in a world now where everything's got to be politically correct. So to say anybody's going to hell is politically incorrect. But I'm just going to tell you something. The Bible says people are going to hell. The Bible is very clear that if, you, if you're living in sin and you do not repent and turn to Christ, you're going to hell. That's what the Bible says. And so uncomfortable, politically incorrect, whatever. Bottom line is, without Christ, people are going to... Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one, no one, say no one. No one comes to the Father except by me. That's what he said. He's very, very clear about that. Now, again, like I said, we live in a nebulous, weird you know, politically correct world where, you know, you can't, well, no, you can't, you can't, you've got to tell the truth. Even though people may be uncomfortable with it, you've got to tell the truth. Now, of course, biblically, we tell the truth in love. I don't go out angry at people and scream that they're going to hell. I'll deal with some people like that next week. I meet them every year in New Orleans. There's people down there that are just down there to tell everybody they're going to hell and they're mad about it. Well, I'm going to tell you something. I get in those guys' face, and I deal with them, too, because they think they're Christians, but I don't see anything Christian about what they're doing there because I'm not, I don't go to New Orleans because I'm angry at sinners. I go down to New Orleans because I love these people down there. They're law. They're just like I was, and I, I want to get the truth of the gospel to them. So we take the message of God's love out into a world we're unashamed and unapologetic, but we also are broken and loving in how we do it. Does that make sense? Does that make sense? Yes. Okay. Um, so the gospel to the marketplace. He was preaching in the marketplace every day, and then you have Paul's message at the Areopagus 22-34, which is brilliant. Go read it when you have time. Basically, he says, hey guys, I've been walking around your city. I noticed that you're a very, very religious people. Um, I noticed while I was in your city an altar to the unknown God. He's the one I'm declaring to you. And he preached the gospel to him. That's sweet. I mean, it's just powerful. It's just, man, I won't be like that guy. Anyway, um, Acts 24, 13 through 35. The road to Emmaus. Here again, man, so much good stuff right here, but I'm going to just give it to you quickly. Verse 15. Jesus approached them and began traveling with them. Jesus approached and began traveling with them. Verse 27, Jesus explained the prophetic scriptures to them. Verse 35, Jesus was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. The road to Emmaus. Okay, are y'all familiar with this passage? Say yes or no. Okay, a lot of no's. So let me just briefly explain. This is after Jesus went to the cross and now he has, he has risen and he's making appearances. One of the very first appearances, well, of course, he met the, the ladies at the tomb. These two travelers were, they were headed home and personally, I believe they had given up. That they were like, hey, that was a great, you know, great dream we had that he was going to restore the kingdom to Israel. But hey, he's dead, he's gone. And of course, the women came from the tomb and said, we've seen the Lord and he's risen. And they said, yeah, what a, nice, whatever. And they headed home. 
I personally, I don't have time to get into it this morning, but I personally believe this is a husband and wife. And I believe that she was actually one of the ones that was at the And But he's going, woman, you've lost your ever-loving mind. And he's trying to get her out of there and take her home. And so all of this is going on, and Jesus appears. And they didn't recognize him. But he comes up and he begins traveling with them and he's saying, they're headed, like I said, they're headed home and I don't mean just because they, you know, they're going home to, that's where they sleep. I mean they're heading home because they're done with this Jesus thing. It's over, he's dead, he's gone. So they're headed home and he cruises up among them and says, hey, why are you people so bummed out? And, and you can go read it, that's pretty much what he said. Why, why are you so bummed out? And they said, are you the only visitor to this area that doesn't know what just happened? And they started telling about Jesus, and we had believed that he was the one that was going to restore the kingdom to Israel, and and he begins to open up prophetic scripture about himself, and begins to explain to them from the scriptures that the Christ had to suffer, go to the grave, rise again, and they're still not seeing who it is, and so they get to, to their house, and they're about to go in, and he's acting like he's going to keep traveling, they said, no, 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 it's late in the evening, Come, stay with us this evening, and we'll, you know, let's have a meal together. And so he agrees, and he goes in, and they set a loaf of bread on the table, and Jesus takes the loaf, and he blesses it, and he breaks it, and immediately their eyes are open. They see it's the Lord, and then he disappears from among them. Well, what is this? This is Jesus doing street evangelism with some of his own followers who had given up. They were backsliding. They were saying, that's it. We're out of here. We're going back to whatever we did because this ain't happening. And so Jesus says, ah, we need a little intervention here. And so he shows up among them, explains the scriptures to them, and then is fellowshipping with them. And when they see who it is, then he's gone. Well, I'm going to tell you, I just personally think that there's that's a great passage to go study in order to see how do I effectively share the gospel in the streets because that's what Jesus was doing. Jesus approached and traveled with them. He explained the prophetic scriptures to them. He was revealed to them in the breaking of the bread. Last but not least, Psalm 126. Really the whole psalm. But specifically verse 6. Let me at least read it to you. Because it's so sweet, so good, so powerful. Psalm 126. It's one of the... uh, the song of ascents, which I believe were were teaching songs that they sang as they went up, because they, you know, the Jews were were supposed to make pilgrimage up to the temple, up to Jerusalem, and so they would sing these songs to recount what God had done among them. And this one is a psalm of, of thanksgiving because they were brought out of captivity. When the Lord brought back the captive ones of Zion, we were like those who dream. Then our mouth was filled with laughter, our tongue with joyful shouting. Then they said among the nations, the Lord has done great things for them. The Lord has done great things for us, and we are glad. Restore our captivity, O Lord, as the streams in the south. Now here, verse 5 and 6. Those who sow in tears will reap with joyful shouting. He who goes to and fro, weeping, carrying his bag of seed, will indeed come again with a shout of joy, bringing his sheaves with him. I call this the principles of harvest. The principles of harvest. Let me give them to you. It's um, doers, weepers, 
sowers, reapers. Let me give them to you again. There's four blanks under Psalm 126. Doers, weepers, sowers, reapers. So you've got doers. That's the principle of action. Right? The principle of action. Weepers. That's the principle of brokenness. Brokenness. Sowers. The principle of impartation. And reapers. The principle of harvest. Yes, I'll give it to you again. Doers is the principle of action. Weepers is the principle of brokenness. Sowers, the principle of impartation. And reapers, the principle of harvest. While you're getting that written down, Brian, let me ask you a question. What, what, what's our target for lunch? Well, aren't they going to have to bring it, or somebody's going to get it? Oh, it's here. Okay. So, like, just at noon, we're good. Okay, perfect. Okay, so everybody, look at me for a minute. Here's a psalm, and it's primarily about uh, Israel being brought out of captivity. But as Israel was brought out of captivity, they they were brought out in stages, and so. I mean, it's as if, I mean, if you could just think for a minute, let's say that we were all, you know, taken captive by China. And so we've been deported, uh, we've been whisked away to China. Us, our family, our friends, everybody we know. But then we get some deliverance. And so some of us come back to the U.S., but there's still some of our family that's in China. And so we're like rejoicing because we're home. Our fortunes have been restored. We're free again. We're all excited about that. Then as we think about that, we think about the fact that we still have loved ones that are in captivity. Of course, that's heartbreaking, heartrending. Well, the same is true spiritually. That I've been set free. Praise God. And I mean, I'm going to tell you something. When we head into worship in the morning, I'm going to be in it. Because I love it. I worship God, have a good time in His presence, and just you know, and that's what he said. We were like those who dream. We were like we were like joyful, shouting, and all that kind of stuff. I understand that, but then in the midst of that worship, there's a heartbreaking because I know that within a stone's throw of this building, there's people that are lost. They're on their way to hell. If they don't get the gospel and respond properly to it, they're going to go to hell, and that's heartbreaking to me. And I can even think of friends and family that are lost. They don't know Christ. That matters to me. It all matters to us. In fact, not just that we have loved ones that are lost, but people that, I mean, you know, we can talk about Islam. And the last few years, I've had a lot of involvement training people and ministering among Islamic um, people in different parts of the world. And, you know, it's easy to see the evening news. And uh, I'll be honest with you, it's even to get pretty angry about radical Islam. And then you need to realize that most of those people have never heard the gospel. They've never had an opportunity one time to hear the gospel. And what I've discovered is that many times when they get an opportunity to hear the gospel, they respond to the gospel. And they become as radically devoted to Jesus, only in a good way, as they were to Islam. It happen. And so... We, it becomes a responsibility 
for us to get the gospel to, to those who need it. And here he shows us how we do that. It's by being doers, weepers, sowers, reapers. What does that mean? Doers, he who goes to and fro, that just means the best stuff happens in the routine of everyday life. I mean, we could organize an outreach, and I'm not against organizing outreaches. I do it all the time, actually. You know, we could for an organized outreach to go out and do something in the community in order to share the gospel. But in reality, the best stuff happens just as you go out into life every day. And you are a carrier of the gospel. Christ in you. And so you go out into your world and you're affecting and infecting the world with the love of Christ. So we become doers. He who goes to and fro. Where is that to and fro? That's everywhere. Anywhere. Everywhere. Here we go. Did you notice earlier that it said in Acts 1, 7 and 8, it said, um, um, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes upon you and you will be my witnesses. What is a witness? Somebody tells what they've seen and heard. We already talked about that. You'll be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even to the uttermost parts of the earth. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, even the uttermost parts of the earth. Well, I've never been to Jerusalem and I've actually been to Judea, but not to Jerusalem. Uh, what? Well, no, no, no. He's not talking. He's talking. They were in Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria and the uttermost. It's like concentric circles. And so for us, it would be. Uh, uh, I don't even know what county you're in. Shelby County. Okay. So we're in Calera and Shelby County and Alabama and the Southeast and the U.S. and the rest of the world. And so that's what the word would be to us. You'll be my witnesses right here in this city and in this county and in this state and in this region and across this nation and around the world. That's the implication. It's not anywhere specific. It's as you go to and fro, as you do life, as you go out into life, that's where he wants us to be a witness. It's just everyday life, normal life, the routine of life, that I am a carrier of the gospel everywhere I go. That's what he wants. That's what he wants for you. Okay, next, uh, what do we got up next? Let's see, yeah, types. Let's go to types. Anybody have any questions or comments at this point? Please, feel free to ask your question. Um, have you ever noticed anyone like completely shutting off when you get to the part where you say, you know, hey, do you mind if I share my story with you? And they're like, sure. And you're like, okay, well, I was a drug addict. Boom. And do you find that they sh completely shut off because they're like, well, who wants any part of what they have because they were on drugs and they're worse off than I am because I'm their addiction? <coughs> have you ever found that? Um, somewhat. I, I have actually had people that will say to me, uh, um, well, I would never use drugs, right. you know. And so what I try to do at that point is just talk about the. I mean, um, Romans three twenty three. All of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. So I'll start talking about sin in general. And because basically what they're trying to do then is excuse their sin because your sin in their perception is worse. Right. And uh, but let me say this also. When I'm sharing with somebody and I come to a place where I feel what I, where I feel like that they are um, kind of scoffing or wasting my time, of course I'm kind of in prayer inside the whole time I'm talking to somebody anyway. But if I come to a place where I feel like this is a dead end, I'll just leave them with the gospel. I I, I do what I call truth bombing. 
like I was talking to a couple on the streets. This was actually last year down in, in New Orleans. And they started getting into, they wanted to, well, basically they pretty much told me if your God, if your God doesn't, um, doesn't approve of the homosexual lifestyle, then he, then he can't be my God. And they weren't even homosexuals. They, this was a man and his wife. And, um, so I finally just came to the place where I said, sir, let me share some things with you that you need to know. And I just basically shared the gospel. I said, this, the scriptures are very clear that, that all of us have sinned. All of us have, been, all of us have come short of the glory of God. We're all guilty before God. And God loved us so much that he gave his son. He came born of a virgin, lived a sinless life, um, died, went to the grave, rose again. And he did that not for himself because he was without sin. He did it for me and he did it for you. And one day, very soon, you're going to stand before God. And you're going to give an account of yourself to God. And your only hope on that day that you stand before God is that your faith and trust was placed in the only Savior, Christ Jesus. And I said, on that day, that's all that's going to matter. And so, let me give you a piece of advice. You need to come to a place where you humble yourself before Christ, repent of your sins, and surrender your life to Him because you are going to give an account of yourself one day. Well, of course, he was scoffing while I'm telling him this. But you know what? I kind of came away... I mean, I couldn't do that over and over. I do it all the time with people if I feel like they're scoffing. Um, bottom line is, he won't stand before God one day and say, I didn't know. He did know. And uh, so I kind of feel like, you know, there's a passage, it's a pretty heavy-duty passage, where the Apostle Paul says, we are, we are a savor of life to some and of death to others. And he's actually describing in... in ancient Roman times, they didn't have CNN and Fox News, so they didn't get to watch the war every day and see the victories or whatever. So they would actually bring in a sense of war parade home to Rome. And so in that war parade, the armies would come in, they would have captives from the land they had conquered, and those captives, some of those captives were going to be given as gifts to men. Um, they were usually prominent citizens from the other country, doctors, lawyers, politicians, and they would actually be given to prominent households there in Rome and would be their slaves. But these were very accomplished and intelligent people that would be given as slaves to these homes. There were others that were only there to be killed. They were, they were in the procession because, you know, the common people didn't get to see Fox News every night. And so they wanted to see the victory, so they would actually bring these people there and execute them. Within the middle of the crowd, there were people with censers. These were like victory censers, and they had incense. So there's a fragrance going out. And Paul basically was saying, same fragrance. It's the gospel. It's the same fragrance. Everybody's smelling the same fragrance. But to some, it's a smell of death. And to some, it's a smell of life all depends on how you respond to it. And so I really believe that to be, I mean, I, I know, as Paul said it, it's true, that I have a responsibility to get the gospel out. What people do with it is up to them. Now, of course, I want to be as winsome as I can. Do you understand winsome? In other words, you're nice. You try to do, present the gospel in such a way where it's, you make it, you make it as palatable as you can, but you've got to always remember that the Bible says the gospel is an offense. It's, it's a stone of stone and a rock of offense. And so I can only make it so palatable. I'm not going to make it 
palatable beyond what God's Word has said. And so, bottom line is, I present the gospel as winsome as I can, but when I have a stopper, uh, at some point I'm just going to say, okay, look, you just need to know the truth, and here it is. What you do with it is up to you. I move on. Does that make sense? Does that kind of answer your question? So, any other questions at this point? Yes? What is that specific passage that you were saying? Uh, it's either a savory smell or a smell of death. What? You know, I just taught on this passage, and I can't even, I can't think of it. Um, uh, okay, yeah, find that for me. I want to say it's in 2 Corinthians, but I'm not, I can't remember exactly. Where Paul's talking about the savor of life to some and the death to others. And he even says, he even says, who's sufficient for these things? In other words, this is heavy duty. This what we're dealing with here is big stuff. And let me just say that it is heavy duty. That we have a responsibility to get the gospel out to, to people all around us. And uh, I feel the weight of that responsibility all the time. And I don't mean that like, oh, I can't take this. I just mean this is serious business and I can't neglect it. I, I, I have a responsibility to be sure people know the truth of God's word. And I personally believe that's incumbent upon every Christian. It says, oh, well, this is what it says, to the one we are in a rover that brings death, to the other in a rover that brings life, and who are these two such a path? Yeah, that's it. So it's 2 Corinthians 2.16. Okay. And really the surrounding supporting verses as well, so 2 Corinthians 2. Okay. So let's talk about types of evangelism, and uh, let me, I'm going to go ahead and give these, the ones we're going to list, I'm going to give them all to you. Okay, first one is street evangelism. Street evangelism, and in parentheses, put confrontational. Street evangelism, <coughs> confrontational. Then servant evangelism. Servant evangelism. Event evangelism. Power evangelism, put prophetic in parentheses out beside it. Power evangelism, prophetic. Intellectual evangelism, and beside it, put apologetic. Apologetic. And then friendship evangelism. And for that, put relational. So street evangelism, confrontational, servant evangelism, event evangelism, power evangelism, which is prophetic, intellectual evangelism, which is apologetic, and then friendship evangelism, which is relational. Now, as I said, there's variations of these. There's many more. There's probably as many methods out there as there are people. And in fact, I think that's one of the things that you really need to do in life is Find out, God, what's my niche? How can I effectively share the gospel on a consistent basis in a way that I'm, I can be effective at? And I mean, I know there's some people that to walk out and just confront somebody with the gospel would be almost, almost impossible for them. Let me say this. I think you need to try to be as effective as you can at every level of evangelism. And... 
Of course, confrontational evangelism is the least effective method because it's confrontational and because it's not very relational. So by definition, I'm walking up to a total stranger, confronting them with the gospel, so they're, you know, the chances of really, really responding to that are pretty slim. However, did she need the information I gave her? Absolutely. So I can't say, no, there's, there's no point in doing that at all, because if, if I don't go out to this guy out here on the street, and he's not going to church, he doesn't know any Christians, how's he going to get the gospel if I, don't, if I don't give it to him? And so somebody has to be confrontational. Somebody's got to take it out there and give it, he's got to get the information. Now, on the other end of that spectrum, you've got friendship evangelism, which I used to say, but I'm going to qualify it, so listen to this whole statement. I used to say you need to go make friendships with lost people so that you can win them to Christ. And the Lord spoke to my heart one day after years of teaching that. Because I basically I would say go join a, join some civic clubs. Go, you know, if your kids are in sports, use that as an opportunity to build relationships with lost people so that you can win them to Christ. My wife and I were actually in the midst of, we were living up in North Carolina at the time, and the little town we lived in, there was no Starbucks. There were two Starbucks wannabes. You know what I mean? Like, just locally owned places that were like a Starbucks. A nice, nice coffee shop with lattes and all that kind of stuff. And uh, both of them were nice. One of them, I knew the owner, and it was a Christian place, and it was Christian music, Christian art, Christian scriptures on the wall, all, everybody in there were Christians. It was Christian, 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 Christian. Which is wonderful if you wanted, like, you know, just you know, Christian fellowship. I usually didn't go there because a couple of reasons. Number one, if I'm going to go hang out in a coffee shop, I want an opportunity to share Christ with somebody. And I knew there's no shop there. I'm going there. It's all, And plus, sometimes I go to a coffee shop because I want to sit and read or whatever. I couldn't there because everybody knew me. And so I'd go in there and, hey, Brother Ken, how's it going? That's what I get on the whole time I'm there, fellowshipping with this Christian, fellowshipping with that Christian, which is wonderful and fine and all that stuff, but that wasn't really what I wanted to do there. The other one was actually a little nicer, and it was uh, two ladies that ran it. They were lesbians. And um, um, most Christians didn't go there at all. In fact, they told me over and over again how rude Christians actually were to them that would come in there and say some pretty ugly stuff to them. Because, you know, they were sinners. And uh, my wife and I decided that was our hangout. And so we would hang out there, and I got to be really good friends with these girls. And I had the thought in my mind, I want to be friends with them, so I went to Christ. And the Lord spoke to my heart one day and said, why don't you be friends with them because they're created in the image and likeness of God. Yes, sir. There you go. And uh, I thought that's exactly right, that I need to love them because God loves them. I need to love them because they're his creatures. They, he created them. I need to love them because they're people, and they matter to God, and all those kind of things. However, of course, we still do want to win them to Christ, Absolutely. and there's no way you're going to do it if you've got a more very little chance if you don't have some level of relationship. So, 
they knew pretty clearly from the beginning where Sonia and I stood, and we became very, very good friends. And uh, they even told my wife one day, they said, we were on our way to Charlotte. We lived outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. They said, she said, we were on our way to Charlotte for, uh, to you know, pick up supplies for their coffee shop. And uh, she said, I was talking to Jill, and we decided that if we ever become Christians, we want to be Christians like you and Ken. Well, I'm not sharing that to say, oh, how, look how wonderful Ken and Sonia are. No, no, no. We just went in there and loved those girls. And they weren't ready to receive the gospel, but they were far enough along to say, you know what? <coughs> we might be open to being Christian. I mean, I guarantee you, it hadn't been very long before that, everything they said about Christians was bad and negative because they had had so many bad experiences. But they at least came to a place where they were saying, if we ever do, we, we, we're at least open, at least open to it. Well, friend, let me tell you something. Um... I never had the opportunity, or at least haven't yet. I don't have much interaction with them anymore because we live here now. But uh, I never did get to lead them to Christ. But I know I had influence in their life. I know I did. Because out of their own mouth, we, we had influence in their life. And there's been a lot of other people that I did have the opportunity to lead to Christ because I built a relationship with that person. Now, let me go back to the other end of the spectrum. Confrontational evangelism. Um, like I said, next week I'll be on the streets of New Orleans. The vast majority, in fact, probably 100% of the people I talk to, I don't know them from anybody. There's already a deck stacked against us because there is now in our nation a very anti-Christian bias. And so just by being on the streets and share, trying to share, they, they're going to immediately equate me with the guys down there on the megaphones that are telling them all they're going to hell and God hates you and all that stuff. I'm one of them. Actually, that works to my advantage because what I can do is as soon as they say, like I literally had a guy in my face one time down there like this close. I don't even know how he knew I was a Christian because I, I don't wear like Christian t-shirts or nothing. I just, I'm, I'll be dressed like this. And I was just standing there in the middle of Bourbon Street and this guy comes into my face and he's screaming at the top of his lungs, why do you hate us? And why do you condemn us? And why are you screaming at us? And I mean, he's just, I'm not exactly, he's this close to me. And somehow the grace of God came over me because I'm going to tell you, I was a fighter back in the day. I don't let people get in my face like that. And, but I just stood there while he's, and just as calm as anything, I looked at him and I said, I, I'm not screaming at you. You're screaming at me. <laughs> and he back, when, when I said that, he kind of backed off. And I said, and I didn't come here to condemn you. I said, bro, if I want to condemn somebody, I'll condemn this boy because I know where this boy's been and I know the garbage this boy's done. And all of a sudden, he's like dumbstruck. And I had the opportunity. He was... He was a, a, a homosexual. It was obvious on many levels. Plus, he had his boyfriend with him. And we sat and talked for probably 45 minutes, and I shared the gospel with him. And finally, finally, he grabbed me. He grabbed me by the shirt and pulled me up close again. He turned his back when his buddy couldn't hear. And he said, Ken, I know you're telling me the truth. And he said, I know I need to get right with God. He said, I'm not ready, but I know what i got to do. And he turned and went off in the crowd. 
Well, I'm going to tell you something. During the course of our conversation, only 45 minutes, I built a relationship with that guy. And I'm going to tell you what I do is I'm just looking for anything. Um, a t-shirt. One, one thing that really is convenient for us in the South is that generally, I'm looking in this room, not many in this room, but usually everybody's got their team emblazoned somewhere on their body. And so, you know, you may have picked up by now that I'm, I'm actually an Alabama fan. But you know what? <laughs> hey, if you had a big Auburn, you got a big Auburn thing on, I'm not going to come up and say, I'm an Alabama fan. No, no, I'm going to come up and talk Auburn football. Why? Because I don't care about Alabama or Auburn football at this moment. I care about his soul. And so I'm going to come up and say, hey, man, how about those Auburn Tigers? How do you think, blah, blah, blah. What about your quarterback next year? And I'm going to... I'm going to, I'll make a way to talk Auburn football. Listen, I walked up to a guy last year on the street. He had a camera, and uh, it was an event taking place, and he, he uh, was leaned against a, a wall and had a camera, and was just, I saw him scoping the crowd. And I, I just walked up, and I asked him about his camera and started talking about photography. You know how much I know about cameras and photography? Like nothing. All I know is there's a camera on my phone. Okay? But I just faked it the best way I could. And mainly ask him questions about what do you do? Are you a professional? Blah, blah, What are you looking for down here exactly? And, you know, all that kind of stuff. Well, as soon as he opened his mouth, by his accent, I could tell he was Ukrainian. I spent a lot of time in Ukraine. And uh, so immediately I got to, I started to, I said, oh, are, are you Ukrainian? He said, yes, I am. And and so we started talking about Ukraine, and I told him some of the places I've been. He said, actually, I'm from that same area. And so I knew of some pretty hairy political situations. We started talking some politics. And you know what I did? I spent probably 15 to 20 minutes just building common ground, just finding common ground. Well, let me tell you, another time I was in a major city here in the U.S., and you know how a lot of your big cities, do you know what a stoop is? Like the little front stairs, not exactly a porch, it's not big enough to be a porch, but it's, you know, little stairs with a landing, and usually they have, like, rails, like, thick rails, and so you can sit out there on the stoop, and, and they did it. This was in the evening. I was walking by on the street, I was walking by the stoop, and there were probably, um, if I remember correctly, eight or ten guy, young guys and girls out there. And, um, I, as I walked by, I said, I just looked at him and said, hey, how y'all doing? And I did, you know, I put the thick southern thing on a little bit and hey, how y'all doing? Because I know that northerners, like, they like it. They trip out on it a little bit. I've had it happen many times. They gave me an opportunity to talk. And sure enough, when I said, hey, how y'all doing? They said, where are you from? And I said, I'm from Alabama. And uh, so I walked over there and I got to, to talking with them. And as soon as I start engaging them in conversation, I'm trying to think, where, how can I go? How can I go? I need some common ground. And so I pulled out my phone, and I had a picture of my, at that time, brand-new granddad. And so most of them were girls. And I knew, girls and babies, I've got an inroad. And so I said, hey, look, let me show you my, my new granddaughter. And so I'm oh, she is so sweet. And, you know, so we, all of a sudden, I've just melted the hearts of all the girls there and 
had an opportunity. And so I showed him a few pictures. And I said, hey, you want to see my wife? And I showed him my wife. And I don't, some of you know my wife. Most of you don't. My wife's just drop-dead gorgeous. And so I, I said, oh, she is so beautiful. And so I pretty much introduced them to my whole family. And so now by the time I get through my family, I probably engage them for, again, 15, 20 minutes. And we're feeling, I can tell, they've opened their hearts a bit. They're really listening to what I got to say. And so I also have on my phone a mugshot before I got saved. So I flipped to the mugshot. I said, hey, what about this guy? Of course, it's been 36 years ago. Not, I mean, it's been a few years ago that this happened. But 36 years ago, I got saved. So I showed him my mugshot. I said, well, hey, what do you think? Any hope for this guy? And they're like, oh, man, I don't know. He's pretty out of control. And so I had the opportunity then to say, hey, that's actually me. Can I share my story with y'all? And they said, man, we'd love to hear your story. And so I did, in depth, share my story. And while I was sharing my story, I wove the gospel into my story. You know, here's what you can do. Listen to me. You can make a note of this or just make a mental note of it. If you don't already, if you don't know these scriptures, go learn Romans 3.23. Romans 3.23. Romans 5.8. Romans 6.23. 6.23. Actually, if you're only going to learn one, learn Romans 6.23 because you can share the entire gospel just from that verse of scripture. In fact, right out beside Romans 6.23, write one verse method. And you go Google one verse method, Romans 6.23, and learn what they've got to say there. I'm telling you, you've got the gospel. You can share the gospel anywhere. Just use that one verse. There's actually a John 3.16 one verse method. Basically same concept. Learn both. And you know you want you want you want a bullet in every chamber of your gospel gun, right? So, um, yeah, and then uh, Romans ten nine and ten, Romans ten thirteen. There's actually a few other Romans verses you can use, but that, that you get just those, just those. Learn those verses, and then weave that into when you're sharing your story. Weave his story into your story. And uh, so you get opportunity. Just by the time I've finished sharing my, my story, I've actually also shared the gospel. And on more than one occasion, many occasions, I, while I'm doing that, I see people, there's tears streaming down their face. Because I know the Holy Spirit is dealing with their heart, dealing with their heart. What time? 12. Let's take, uh, let's stop right there. We'll come back and finish this. Pray for my poor little wife. She went in the uh, back room of our house this morning and and uh, she said she felt something squishy under her feet oh. and realized there was water and our our hot water tank has burst. Oh. Oh, man. So she her idea was just shut the water off and you know, abandon ship for a couple of days, but I said, No, 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 no. I told her to go get a couple of my guys and so this is not a hard fix. Just go get a hot water heater and fix it. So, so hopefully they get that taken care of. Just like the enemy would do that while I'm out of town. Um, Getting ready for your world. Yeah. Uh, we're going to talk about... Um, any, any questions on types of evangelism? I'm, I, 
I know we're doing a very surface survey type thing today because we're covering a lot of ground in a little amount of time. Um, but I think you get the idea that there's different strategies for evangelism. I mean, there's everything there from just street confrontational type evangelism, which can be done in an organized fashion, or it can be done just as you're going through life. Like uh, we have one shopping area in Huntsville that sometimes I'll just go over there and just walk around and ask the Holy Spirit to lead me. And I see somebody sitting on a bench or whatever, and I feel like God says, go talk to him. And I'll just sit down and strike up a comment. As far as he knows, I'm waiting on my wife. You know, she's in the store or whatever. And I just look for an opportunity. And uh, then, you know, um, uh, servant evangelism. Basically, again, that can be an organized effort or that can be a, just a personal effort. Um, servant evangelism would be where you're providing some service in order to earn the right, so to speak, to share the gospel. So, uh, I mean, it could be it's the fall of the year and we say, okay, let's all meet over here Saturday. We're going to go out in the neighborhood and we're going to rake yards. And, of course, we're raking the yard to be a blessing to the people, but then in in hopes also that we get to share the gospel and invite them to our church, that kind of thing. But servant evangelism can be just like one time years ago, I went over to mow my parents' yard. And I knew that the next yard was, my, my dad was retired military in the neighborhood we lived in. There were a lot of retired military. <clears throat> and I knew the man next door was also retired military, and that his wife was Vietnamese and was a Buddhist. And so he was hardly ever around, I don't know why, but she was there all the time. And so as I was mowing the yard, I really felt like the Lord said, mow her yard too. And not not go to the door, not say anything, not just mow it, just do it. So I never said a word to her, I just kept on mowing mowed my parents' yard and her yard and went on my way and thought nothing else about it. I'm going to tell you something. For years, as long as my parents lived in that house, and they eventually moved to another location, but for years after that, every time I would show up at my parents' house, that little lady would come running out of her house and say, I remember when you caught my yard. I remember when you cut my yard. <laughs> and would just come over and talk to me because I cut her yard one time. I mean... To me, that was a great investment. Of course, I wasn't smart enough to know that, but God knew that, that it would it would so impact her life that she'd want to speak to me every single time I showed up over there. So that that would be servant evangelism. And then, of course, event evangelism is primarily when we create an event. It can also be where you utilize an event. Like if your, your town is having a fall festival or whatever, you can plug into that, or you can have a fall festival. You're, of course, doing an event in order to get people together so that you can, you know, build relationships, share the gospel, that kind of thing. <clears throat> I mentioned uh, intellectual evangelism, and I think this is becoming a little more important. I didn't, in the past, I didn't place as much emphasis on it because it wasn't that long ago, especially in the South, that our whole culture was strongly Judeo Christian. What I mean by that is. Bible-based culture. Um, when I was a kid, especially, pretty much everybody believed the Bible was true, that Jesus came, hung on a cross, died, went to the grave, rose again, 
that if you're out there living in sin, you're a sinner and you're going to hell. I mean, pretty much everybody I knew believed that. And I mean, like I can remember, I used to say stuff to friends of mine about how, you know, we're, we're lost and going to hell. And they'd get all mad at me and they'd say, what about you? I said, yeah, me too. We're all on our way to hell. And, you know, so we had a strongly Christian culture. So I kind of, and so I'm still pretty much this way, but I, I, I was strongly, early on in how I share the gospel, I'm strongly devotional. And at one time, that was just super effective. Um, so basically how I would share the gospel would be heavily my story, here's what Christ did for me, you need to get right with God too, and you know it. You know, and that was effective. But it's becoming less effective because now I can't assume that the people I meet on the street understand the gospel, have ever even heard the gospel. In fact, I would venture to say even in the South, the majority of people I reach out on the street do not understand the gospel at all. In fact, I'll go further than that. In most churches, the people I meet do not understand the gospel. So you have to go a little further. You need to at least know the basics of the gospel. Like I, I gave you, if you'll learn those passages in Romans, you'll have a basic outline of the gospel. Um, but it doesn't hurt to even go a little further and really make sure that you understand the concepts of Scripture, like uh, the inerrancy of Scripture, that, that the Word is God's inspired Word, that Jesus is the Son of God. Um, I mean, some basic scriptural concepts, it's a good idea to be very familiar with what you believe, because you're going to meet people now on the street that they ain't no telling what they believe. And, uh, of course, the best... Um, the best response to error is truth. And so if you can basic, know the basic tenets of Scripture, then you're going to be light years ahead of the game as far as being able to really minister to people. So that would be apologetics. Apologetics, I know it sounds like we're apologizing for our faith, but actually to, apologetics means to defend the faith, um, to be able to give an explanation. The Bible tells us specifically, be ready to give an answer to anybody that asks you why you believe what you believe. Be, be prepared to be able to respond to that. And then prophetic evangelism um, would be, um, um, which, let me go back here, or power evangelism, which is prophetic, or some people call it prophetic evangelism. Everybody look at me for a minute. This should be a given, actually. It's taught... I included it in here because I know that many, many people that write on evangelism, teach on evangelism, include it as one type of evangelism. But really, we need the power. You go read the Bible. Everywhere you find the promise of the Holy Spirit, it is always within the context of you being effective, sharing your faith. Um, it's so that you can get the job done. And so... Being filled with the Holy Spirit is not so that I can have goosebumps at church. Now, I like goosebumps at church. Don't misunderstand me. I'm all for the power of God, the touch of God, uh, supernatural phenomena. That's all wonderful, but that's not the main event. The main event is that I need power to go out and share my faith. And one of the things that I discovered, this is while I, while I was still in, in um, when I was going through Teen Challenge, I grew up a Southern Baptist boy, and I was basically taught that the, the, the fullness of the Spirit was not for today. Mm -hmm. And uh, I started reading my Bible. 
And did you know that the Bible actually teaches that it is for today? And so I started reading my Bible and was going, I don't see anywhere in here that it says that this is gone. In fact, it sounds like the opposite. He said the promise is for you, your children, your children's children, even as many as are far off, even as many as the Lord our God will call himself. Well, that's pretty specific. That's like, basically, he said this promise, and he's talking about the promise of the Holy Spirit, is for everybody in all time, from now on, as many as God calls to himself. So I started seeing that, and I got hungry for the fullness of the Spirit, and one night was filled with the Holy Spirit, and you know what I noticed immediately after that is that I had, I had a power I'd never had before. When I would talk to people about Jesus, I'd see them get physically affected by what I was saying. And that's never abated. That's been probably, well, almost 36 years ago. My spiritual birthday was last Saturday. So last Saturday, 36 years ago, I gave my life to Jesus. About three or four months later, I got filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that time, I've noticed that when I talk to people about Christ, it affects them. It affects them. Well, what is that? It's not me. It's the power of the Holy... You know, basically, you know what the Holy Spirit does? He fills your life. And then when you open up your mouth, when I say, I'm going to tell her about Jesus, I open up my mouth, he goes, pow. What do you got? He comes out and impacts their life. And that's why when you're talking to people about Jesus, sometimes they'll say, how did you know that about me? Well, I didn't even know I knew anything about you. It's just God gave me that. And so it's like a... So we need power evangelism no matter what type of evangelism we're doing. However, I put it there because I think there does need to be an emphasis that we need to realize that the more you're going to move in the power of the Holy Spirit, the more effective your evangelism is going to be. And uh, I've seen some pretty crazy stuff out there, man. Just talking to somebody and God just dropped something in my heart. Or a friend of mine, I remember one time that he just started talking to this guy about his relationship with his father. And I mean, it was like he was talking to him like he knew him. And knew his father. And I could see the guy was like, like stunned out of his mind and began to weep. And it was just God. God my buddy, God, he was getting a download from God about this man's relationship with his father and was giving him specifics about it. Well, how could that be? Well, because the Spirit of God lives inside of us. So, power <laughs> evangelism, very, very... Of course, friendship evangelism goes without saying that um, we love people. We have a relationship with them, and we utilize that relationship because we also want them to come to Christ. Now, having said that, let me say we touched earlier on discipleship. And I said to you that most of us think, oh, I've got to make disciples? That's so complex, so hard. I need to go to Bible college. I need a seminary degree. I need... No, you're making it harder than it is. It's just a matter of sharing your life. It's, it's like I said, you're going to get, you're going to meet somebody for coffee anyway. You're going to meet them for lunch. You're going to invite them over to your house for, for you know, whatever. Just be intentional when you do that. You have a strategy. I want to impart something of Christ to this person. And let me tell you how. Like I'll use evangelism specifically as an example. When I was um, I actually wasn't even finished with Teen Challenge, but I had a, uh, a five-day pass, and I came back, you know, because I'm from Huntsville. I came back to Huntsville for that five-day pass, 
one of the staff members that was working at Outreach at that time knew I was back on pass. He's actually still a dear friend of mine to this day. In fact, he now actually pastors a church up in Maine. It's like unheard of. And he run, they run like 2,000. I don't know if you've ever been to Bangor, Maine, but there's not churches of 2,000 there except his. And man, he's just... He just hits the streets and just loves on people and just shares Christ with them. That's how he's built that big church up there. And um, But this was back, you know, years ago. We were both just young men at the time. He knew I was on pass, so he called me and he said, Hey, Thursday night I'm off. I'm going to go out on the streets witnessing. You want to go? I said, Yeah. I mean, like I said, there was already something in me. I can't even, I can't explain it. Nobody ever came to me. I don't remember anybody coming to me and saying, you need to share the gospel with people. It's like I just, it was just in me to go tell people about Jesus. So I'd never done anything like what he was, he said, I'm going to go out on the streets just talk to people about Jesus. I was like, I'm in, let's do it. But I didn't know anything about what I was doing. And so basically he knew a bar that had, it was situated in such a way where you had to park, there was one parking lot, everybody had to park there. And so basically, everybody going to or leaving that bar has to come in that parking lot. So we basically just went and hung out in that parking lot all night long. And so, you know, we were just, you know, hanging out and a few guys would come out of the bar and head to their cars and we'd just come off the pass and meet them over there. And man, I was having a great time because this guy was really good, man. We'd just pull up to a bunch of guys and he'd start talking to them, you know, we'd just strike up a conversation and then... Next thing I know, he'd be talking about how Jesus changed his life. And, you know, it's just really good. I'd be over here. <laughs> All that kind of thing. And then we'd ease on over to the next group. And he'd talk to them for a while. And he probably did that for 30, 45 minutes. And then we're either four, four guys leaning against their cars, smoking, cussing, whistling at girls, all that stuff that, you know, little heathen guys do. And so... We were we were headed over to them, and he timed it perfect. My buddy, his name is Ken also. He timed it perfect where as we were walking up to these guys, we're probably this far from them, and he goes to my ear and says, I'm not going to talk to these guys. You talk to them. Well, we're still walking, so by the time he said that, I'm standing there. These guys are all looking at me, and he's looking at me. And I'm like, no, no, no. I'm trying to argue with him. No, no, no. You talk to me. And then I realized this is just really weird because these guys are all looking like, why are y'all arguing about who's going to talk to us? I mean, this is just strange. And so finally I realized, because he, he's just like grinning at me and looking. He won't, he won't even answer me. He's just looking. And so I finally realized he's not going to talk. i got to talk. And so probably that first time I shared the gospel with some people on the streets, it was probably kind of like, a doo, 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 doo. but somehow I got enough out that I saw something happen to those guys. I mean, like all of a sudden, I see them like, you know, shifting and trying to drop their cigarettes. And, and you know, like, I mean, I could see that they were being affected by what I was saying. Now, I didn't, I didn't lead any of them to Jesus that night, but I'm going to be honest with you. I think if I, had, if I could encounter those same guys today, that maybe I would have led them to Jesus because I would have been bolder about inviting them to Jesus. But I know this, they heard my story, they heard what Christ had done for me, and they heard that Jesus can change your life, and they fell under conviction. So they got the message. But I'm going to tell you something. 
you might think, well, man, that would freak me out. It did kind of freak me out. But you know what else happened? It's like a little bug bit me. And all of a sudden, I wanted to share Jesus everywhere I could. And you know what else happened? I came away from that encounter saying, the next, the next time I have an opportunity to share Jesus with three or four people, I'm going to do it. I'm going to do a better job. I'm going to be more prepared. I'm going to. And so it stirred something up within me to learn and to grow and to be able to effectively share the gospel. And I, I'm going to tell you something. And you, before we leave here today, you can you can do the same thing. I, I'm going to tell you something. I can share. I can share my story and weave his story, the gospel, into my story. I can do that with you in three minutes or three hours or anywhere in between. In other words, I can take the long version. If we've got, if we're sitting on a plane together and I've got all afternoon to talk to you, I can take that long. Or if we're at a bus stop and I know that here any second your bus is coming, mine isn't, then I, I can get the gospel to you that quick. Listen, people, I think every one of us should be prepared like that to share the gospel. In fact, I want to give you something. This is not in your notes. And um, I want you, we're going to come back to this page, but I want you to go to the back because it's blank. Okay? And I'm going to jump ahead. I was going to give this to you later, but we could run out of time. So I want to be sure I get this before we run out of time. So, on that blank page, I want you at the very, very top to write, just write Psalm 40. Psalm 40, because that kind of gives you the outline. For me, it's what I use to effectively share my story. Now, I can do it one of two ways. I actually sometimes will use Psalm 40 and weave my testimony around the words of Psalm 40. But really, more what I'm talking about here is an idea. Of, it's like a skeleton to hang some meat on. It's just an outline of how to effectively share your story. Psalm 40 is where the psalmist says, I waited patiently for the Lord, and he inclined unto me and heard my cry. He brought me up also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. Say pit. pit. He brought me up out of, also out of a horrible pit, out of the miry clay. He set my feet upon a rock. Say rock. rock. He set my feet upon a rock and established my steps. He's put a new song. Say song. song. He's put a new song in my mouth, a song of praise unto our God. Many will see it and fear and trust in the Lord. I, I believe those things all talk, they're talking about something. The pit is a place of hopelessness and despair. The rock is a place of stability and of salvation. The song, I believe, is a place of victory and of destiny, okay? Of course, I mean, there is a literal song, and when I got saved, before I was saved, I never wanted to, I didn't, certainly didn't want to sing Christian songs, but as soon as I got saved, all of a sudden I did want to sing. It was like a song in my heart. I wanted to sing to the Lord. But I believe David there is really talking about more than just words you're singing. He's talking about a life of victory. That people are seeing and they see what Christ has done in you. And so under Psalm 40, write the pit. Then leave you a little space, like a paragraph. Like, I wish I had a pen. I'd just do it up here for you. But anyway, write Psalm 40, then the pit, then the rock, then the song. Okay? And let me tell you what that corresponds to. We'll call... Um, 
We'll in fact, out beside the pit, just in parentheses, put BC. BC. What? Somebody tell me what? What does BC mean? Before Christ. Before Christ. So, do take You're not going to do this now, but later in a devotional time or just some free time that you got, I want you to take about a paragraph and I want you to, probably the best way to do it is kind of make, make you some bullet points and just summarize what your life was like before you met Christ. And I'm going to tell you some things that would be effective to do. Some of that would be like, oh, before I knew Christ, you know, I was a drug addict. Before I knew Christ, I was hopeless. Before I knew Christ... So some of that, and then maybe a story or two. If there's some stories you can remember that kind of encapsulate what your life was like before you got saved, then just jot down, you know, that event, that story. But what you want to do is you want to outline just a basic idea of what your life was like before you met Christ, okay? Then out beside the rock, put A.D., A.D., Who can tell me what A.D. is? It's not after death. I, I did that on purpose. <laughs> yes, it's Anno Domini, the year of our Lord. Um, because, think about it, if, if, if we timed everything before Christ and after death, then we would have 33 years that are missing. Um, so no, it's the year of our Lord. It's when, he was, when Jesus came. So you have before Christ, then Anno Domini, the year of our Lord, and so what I want you to do there is you're going to do the same thing that you did before Christ. Now you're going to talk about how you came to the Lord. And so what you want to do is you want to talk about, again, maybe make you some bullet points. And you want to share how you began to come under conviction, how you began to realize you needed Christ. Maybe, like you remember earlier, I shared a story about out walking the street and the girl I ran into I hadn't seen for a year. Um, a story like that, somebody maybe that witnessed to you and really had an impact on you. Or I got locked up one time and, man, God started speaking to me. I mean, just maybe put several things in a row of how you, the events that led to you coming to Christ. Now, let me tell you one thing you do not want to leave off that list. Get very specific about how you did come to Christ. Almost every time I preach, and certainly every time I share my story, I will make a statement something like this. One night, I laid in my bed, and I prayed a simple prayer. I said, God, I'm sick of being a drug addict, and I'm tired of my sin. If you'll set me free, I'll live for you until the day I die. And I meant that prayer, and God heard that prayer. I prayed a lot of prayers before that one, selfish, me-centered prayers, but that night I abandoned my heart to him and he heard me and he scooped me up and we began to do life together. I'm, I'm going to share something like that every single time. You know why? Because I want to leave that person I'm talking to with something. I want them, because you know maybe I talk to a guy on the street and nothing happens. He doesn't make a commitment to Christ. But who knows, maybe six months from now his life is falling apart. And maybe he's laying in bed one night saying, my life is a disaster. And all of a sudden he goes, hey, that guy said he was laying in bed. He prayed a simple prayer. He said he just cried out and said, Lord, please, if you'll set me free and forgive me, I'll live for you for the rest of my life. Maybe he prays that same prayer. 
Why? Because I gave him that little bit of ammo. And so don't ever think, oh, okay, well, my story won't matter. No, God will make your story apply to their life. But So you want to give them, here's how I came to Jesus. Then you've got the song. The song is a life of victory or a life of destiny because destiny doesn't mean just fate. It's just whatever happened, whatever will be, will be. No, destiny is in God. In other words, it's what I was created for. And so I don't, I don't want, I mean, bottom line is my story didn't end when I got saved. It began when I got saved, kind of. And so out beside, out beside uh, the song, write A-D-2, the number 2, C. A-D-2-C. And that means the year of our Lord to current, up to now. A-D-2-C. And so again, make you some bullet points. And then I want you to tell what your life like since you came to Jesus. How did he change your life? And you can even tell specific stories. I mean, uh, it could be anything. It could be how God provided you for you at one time. God, how God healed you at one time. How God set you free from your addictions. How God satisfies your heart every day. I mean, it can be a lot of things. What I'm telling you is this. If you will take the time just to sit down and think through your own testimony. Because, you, of course, you know your testimony. You know your story. But you know what? In the heat of the moment, like when I'm out there, okay, all of a sudden, you know, somebody strikes, because I can't tell you how many times I didn't strike up the conversation, somebody else did. But I knew this is divine. This is opportunity. But in that moment, if you're not ready, like she starts talking to me, and I'm going, oh, I want to share the gospel with her. All of a sudden, I'm blind. Why? Because I'm not ready. I'm not prepared. I don't really know my story well enough. In the moment, I forget everything. Well, I'm going to tell you something. If you'll take the time to outline your story and then take those scriptures I gave you and learn those scriptures. You know how long it would take you to learn um, Romans 3.23, Romans 6.23, Romans 5a, and Romans 10.9 and 10. Those four passages. Do you know how long, it, if you really wanted to learn, you know how long it would take you? One afternoon. That's it. One afternoon. And you'd have them. And then you'd have them for the rest of your life. And then what you do is you look, you write out you know, outline your testimony so that you can sit and look at that outline and think about that outline. And maybe, hey, maybe after a while you're looking at it and going, oh, you know what, I really need to talk about this. and Or let's strike that and put this. And But you finally get your story down where you know it. And what I'm saying to you, everybody look at me, what I'm saying to you is learn your story where it's like, like you know it like you know the back of your hand. Like you got it cold. And so that's why I said to you a minute ago, not, I'm not bragging. I said I've taken time to learn my story and to learn his story and to weave them together so that I can do it in three minutes or I can do it in three hours. Doesn't matter, man. But I can do it effective either way. And so learn your story to where you know it cold. You're ready. And learn his story where you can weave it into your story. And then, guys, I'm going to tell you something. I mean, I hate to make this overly simple, but you got everything you need to share the gospel with somebody, really. Um, you get an opportunity out there. I mean, they may bring up some questions. I mean, sometimes people throw out some really crazy stuff. Like, uh, let me ask you a question. If God is so big, can he, can he make a rock so big that not even he can pick it up? I'm going to be honest with you. I, and I mean, literally, I've had that asked. I've had stuff as crazy as that asked. I'm like, uh, you know what, bro? I'm, I'm not even going there. I... Yeah, 
that's just no. Let's talk about yourself. Let's talk about where you stand with Jesus because that's just silliness. Uh, here's my point be ready. And it doesn't take a whole lot for you to be ready. Can you learn more? Can you, is there other things you can add? Well, of course, man. Every single, every time I hear a new method of evangelism, I go, I take the time to go learn it. Most of it I'll never, I never even use. But maybe, maybe I end up in a situation where, boom, I'm, I'll pull this out and use it. I, I'm going to tell you that one verse method thing, because what you're going to see if you go Google that is not only how to use that verse, but even how to draw out a, basically it's the, what they call the bridge draw out the bridge diagram, and I have literally, I've literally led people to Jesus by just drawing out that bridge, explaining Romans 6.23, and then I watched the light come on in their brain. I mean, I could see they, for the first time, they actually understood why Jesus died for them. Boom. Comes on the brain, and they say, what? I say, what keeps you from giving your life to Jesus right now? And they say, not a thing. Let's do it. Let's do it right now. So yeah, just some basic things you can go learn that will really help you but the most important thing is that you just have a passion to do it. That there's just something in you that says, I want to be effective sharing the gospel. Let me finish your notes right here. That we were on page, what, two, three, targets for street evangelism. I'm going to give these to you real fast. Then I want to move on to uh, the next page, which is, I believe, tools. Yeah, tools for evangelism. Let me give you these targets real quick. This would be like events, events like festivals, concerts, parades, etc. Um, public facilities, laundromats, shopping centers, bus stations. Laundromats, shopping centers, bus stations. Gathering spots like bars, boardwalks, parks, downtown areas. And then divine appointments and opportunities. Okay, did everybody get all that? Okay, I'm going to run through it again. Events like festivals, concerts, parades. Festivals, concerts, parades. Public facilities like laundromats, shopping centers, bus stations. Gathering spots like bars, Boardwalks, parks, downtown areas. Then divine appointments slash opportunities. Divine appointments and divine opportunities. Okay, let me just briefly touch on this. This, of course, you, I mean, the, as we've already said, the, the best thing is just be ready and on go everywhere you go all the time. That you're looking for opportunities to share the gospel. And let me just tell you, do, do y'all need... Just if y'all need blanks, but I see a lot of looking around. Just ask me, I'll tell you. Y'all got it? Okay, so the best thing is just be on go, be ready. Because the best opportunities come in the routine of everyday life, just natural. Um, it amazes me how often people will, and like I said earlier, they'll, they'll be the one that strikes up a conversation with me. Or will say, Hey man, I wish uh, I wish you had your church pray for me. And I'm going through this, and my wife is just diagnosed, and blah, blah, blah. my kids are going to hell. I mean, I've, I've, I've literally had those kind of things said to me. And you know what? We make a mistake nine times out of ten because we go, "Oh yeah, I'll, I'll pray for you," or "I'll have my church pray for you." And then we forget all about it. We just missed. I mean, we just missed an unbelievable opportunity. Somebody 
somebody just sensed that the Spirit of God lives in you. And so they got all vulnerable, and they don't know how. They're not, they're not Christian. They don't know how to put it, so they don't know what to say. So they just say, uh, oh, would you have your pastor pray for me? That's all they know to say. And what we ought to say in that moment is, no, 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 hold everything. No, I'm not going to have my pastor pray for you. I'm going to pray for you right now. And then you say, let me have you by the hands. And you know what's probably going to happen? By the time you finish praying for them, they're weeping. They're weeping. And they're going, man, I'm not right with God. And then you've got an opportunity to say, hey, can I just share? Let me share with you what Christ did in my life. And, and Listen, guys. You may think I'm describing something that never... No, that, it happens all the time. I, I can't tell you how many encounters I've had just like that. I'm in Burger King. I was in Burger King one time and... You know, I'm a guy. It's lunchtime. I'm thinking Whopper with cheese. I'm like totally on that planet. You know, I'm ready. I'm engaged. It's lunchtime. I can't wait to unwrap the Whopper and the fries. And and there's a guy in front of me, and we just start small talk because, you know, we're like in line in Burger King. They've got the little, you know, you walk through like you're at Disney World, only all you get is a burger at the end. So I, I'm in line with this guy, and I don't even know... I don't even know how the conversation began. I think he engaged me. And he just starts talking to me. And as we're talking, all of a sudden, I mean, like this, all of a sudden I realize he's like sharing some really, like some really hard stuff in his life with me. And I mean, I can tell the guy's on the verge of tears. You know what? He's dying inside. It, I, listen, I got no explanation for that except that he had to have felt the Holy Spirit in me or something. I mean, there's something that caused him. He's like, i got to have somebody to talk to, so I'm going to talk to this total stranger in the line at Burger King. Who does that? Well, I'm going to tell you something. I know it was God. It was God. And so even though I'm so focused on burger time, all of a sudden I realize this guy is really getting gut level with me. And so I, I, he keeps talking, and I finally said, Hey, bro, you know what? I, the Lord Jesus Christ is Lord of my life. He lives inside of me. Let's, let, let me pray for you right now, because this is hard stuff. Let me pray for you right now. And he literally said, right here in Burger King? I said, yep. Right here in Burger King. Give me your hands. And so he kind of, you know, he was freaked out. He kind of, and I took him by the hands, and I just began to bombard heaven right there in Burger King. By the time I got done, the man was weeping. Just weeping. And I had the opportunity just to, you know, to share with him and encourage him and challenge him. Why does that happen? Well, friend, I want to tell you that really I'm talking a lot about the last one on your thing, the divine appointments and divine opportunities. I believe God wants to give them to us all the time. And I believe that all too often we are so locked into life that, okay, I know what I got to do today. And we would never say, God, sorry, I don't have any time for anything that's on your list. We wouldn't say that, but we kind of go out into life like that. Like, i got to do what i got to do. And we're totally focused. How much better if pretty much every day of our life we said, Lord, you said in your word, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters. Romans 8, as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons and daughters of God. Okay, so Lord, today, how about you lead? Because God's big enough. Listen, God knows your schedule. He knows what time you punch the clock and what time you clock out, and He knows where you gotta you gotta pick up your kid, you got whatever you got. He knows all that stuff. And you know what I believe? If we'll just open ourselves up to say, Lord, guess what? I'm on this planet. 
I'm on this planet to be used by you. So just, just order my steps today. Just open the right doors. Just give me opportunity. I believe he absolutely will give us opportunity. I, I mean, I'm not going to say it's going to happen every day. But I'm going to tell you, if we're alert to it and open to it, I believe it'll happen a whole lot more frequently than, than we, that it's happening to us regularly. Let God lead. Let God move in your life. Let God order you. Because why are you on this planet? Now, I don't know about you, but my life was a mess, man. I mean, when I got saved, I said, Lord, if you can do anything with what's left, you can have it. I meant it. And guess what? 36 years later, I still mean it. I'm still saying to him, I'm your man. Do, do whatever you want to do. I'm, I'm available. I, use me. Well, I want to tell you a story, but I know I told it the last time I was here. You don't mind hearing a story twice? Yeah. No. What story? No. Huh? What story? I was going to say a good story. <laughs> do you, do y'all heard me tell the story about the girl on the plane when I was coming back from Managua, Nicaragua. Yeah, I don't know what story. Man, I don't yeah. remember a thing about it. You know? Everybody might not have heard yeah. Well, I want to. I really feel impressed to tell it, so I'm going to tell it anyway. Yeah, I was coming back from Managua, and uh, actually was, and it was for real, man. I, I had, a, I was about to start teaching a course um, at Fire School of Ministry. I had a textbook that I've not read yet, and so I, you know, I feel like it's fairly responsible if the teacher reads the book before the students do, and so I really had this on me, I've got, I've got to take this block of time from Managua to, to, uh, to Atlanta, i got about three and a half hours, I'm going to read this book and highlight it so that we can make a study guide for the book. Can, can I kind of, I'm sorry, I want to interrupt for just a moment, i got to say something that's yeah. burning in me, I'll do it. pages do it. in here, but if she were, she'd tell you a story, you were talking about divine appointments, we've got to at some point realize this life is not about us, it's about him. And everything we do uh, really is about him. It's not about us at all. Even the inconveniences and the interruptions that sometimes drive us crazy, he's the one that's bringing those things into our life. We need to understand that. If I remember real quickly, you can check the page, y'all that, you know, part of MSP or whatever. Um, I hate going to Walmart. One afternoon after school, um, I had to go to Walmart for some reason. I, I do not go to Walmart in the afternoons, if at all possible. I just don't like it. But um, I found that I had to go that day. So I go to the Walmart in Alabaster, and there's Paige sitting on the on a bench by the front door. I've never seen her there before. I haven't seen her there since. But Paige had just gotten off work, and she was she, she was I could tell was fragile emotionally. And I said, Hey, how you doing? And she said, well, I was just sitting here thinking, God, unless you do something right now, I'm leaving, and I'm not coming back. And she said, and here you are. And she, <laughs> and she broke down and started crying. But it was, at the, I mean, God cares so much about Paige that he took me, Made it a little inconvenient for me and made me do something I didn't want to do, but it was for Paige's sake that he did that. So we, you know, and Paige is still here today. Paige is, you know Paige, right? How many has Paige encouraged today? Okay. Paige wouldn't have been here. Paige wouldn't have been here. We've got to see that our life is not about us. It's not about God making our life convenient for us. It's about God being able to use us for his purposes. And just going with the flow, man. Um, the interruptions are not 
by accident. Those interruptions are on purpose. There, there's something in it. And anyway, I'll let you get back to your story. But I wanted to make sure that I got that off oh, my chest. So. And that's, I mean, that's that's what I, I mean. It's not on the script, but I really felt impressed this session to talk about divine appointment and pledges on the script, but not this much. Um, God will give us those opportunities. I mean, I, I was going into a Hardee's one time and got just in the door and the girl came to lock the door. One other guy came in the door behind me and she locked the door and the Lord spoke to me and said, I just locked that guy in here with you. <laughs> and I knew immediately what he was saying. I had a really, really great opportunity to share the gospel with the guy. He was literally weeping. It was just divine. And I mean, God will do that stuff. So I was sitting on this plane and I, I knew what I had to do. I had to do my, my book and to make a long story short, we waited, actually waited an unusual amount of time, and I guess they were waiting on this girl, because the plane was full, except one seat right beside me. I was kind of excited that seat was open, because I didn't want to have to talk to anybody. I needed to do my book. Well, this girl gets on the plane, it's a big plane, like two, two aisles, and I'm over on the second aisle, where she comes right there, I knew she's coming right here. And uh, I knew because I think that was the only seat, but also I, when she got on the plane, I could tell she was a drug addict and her life was out of control. I mean, you, it was just written all over her. And she actually looked like, she's probably about 28 or 29, she actually looked like she'd just stepped out of the 60s and like a hippie, a flower child. And so she comes and she comes right here, so I get out to let her in and she says, Hi, my name's Jill. What's your name? I said, my name's Ken, huh, Jill. She got in and immediately pulled. She had like a floppy hat on. She pulled it down and went to sleep. So I'm like, thank you. <laughs> and so we take off, and I'm doing my book, and the Lord spoke to me and said, you got to talk to Jill. And I said, God, I really got to do this book. <laughs> so I kind of kept on, and again, after a while, again, it's like he boom, hit me and said, you got to talk to her. And this time I looked at her, and she's asleep. And so I said, God, she's asleep. So I kept on. <laughs> I kept on. And then, then a third time, it's like a jolt. And he said, you have to talk to this girl. So I closed my book, put it in the seat pocket, and turned to look at her. And like on cue, she sits up and says, hey. And she starts, <laughs> she starts, yeah. And she's telling me her story. But I could tell she's only telling me the high points. Mm-hmm. And uh, so she goes on, literally, she goes on for 15 minutes. And I just let her talk, because I'm thinking if she goes 15 or 20 minutes, then she's got to give me 15 or 20 minutes. <laughs> so she goes, goes, goes. Well, finally, I thought, I mean, she's not even breathing. She's just talking. And so I thought, at some point, she's going to take a breath, and then I'll, I'll come in. And so finally, she kind of paused, and I said, hey, Jill. I said, uh, um, you kind of shared your story with me. Can, can I tell you my story? She said, oh, I would love that. So I began to tell her that my life was out of control as a drug addict. I began to go in depth with the before Christ stuff. And before I knew it, she begins to weep. And I'm telling you, she progressed fairly quickly from just a few tears trickling down her cheeks to now she's out, out boohooing. And then she's like snotting and sliming. I mean, she's a mess. And she just keeps going downhill fast. I'm still talking. And finally, I thought to myself, Good grief, man. If she if she gets any worse, I mean, they may throw us off the plane because she's just about out of control. And 
she not, listen, I no more than thought that. She literally threw her head back on the seat and starts to wail out loud. She's just like, ah, ah, ah. And so I literally grabbed her arm and I said, Jill, Jill, what am I playing? And she turned, like when I'm saying this to her, she turns her face like right in my face and said, I'm a drug addict. Well, I wanted to say, yeah, we all know. But but instead, I just told her, well, there's hope for you in Christ. And I led her to Jesus right there on that plane. And then actually got to do some follow-up with her. And, And then got her email to try to help her. She was actually from Miami to help her find a local church where she was at. I got to do what I could do to help her along her journey. Now, I told that story for this reason. You think that was a coincidence? No. Well, let me ask you a question then. What does God do? Does he like go in the computer and move people around? I mean, how did she end up beside me? Well, I'm guessing that God does it however he does it, but I guarantee you, that he said, hmm, I got Jill on that plane and she's lost as a goose. Ah, I got Ken Pounders on there and he will share the gospel with her, so let's get them together. You know what I'm saying? Well, I'm going to tell you something. It doesn't have to be on a plane. God can make that happen wherever. And he just puts you in the right place at the right time so that a meeting can happen. That's, that's where the best stuff happens, guys. Good. That's it. That's where the best stuff happens is when we just let him order our steps and when we're on go. And I think that's a real key here. I feel God emphasizing that on me today is to tell you be on go. Let there be something inside of you that says, I can't help but speak what I've seen and heard. I've got to share the gospel. I'm looking for an opportunity instead of, I don't know if I can. Yeah, you can. You can. It's not hard. It's not hard to share the gospel and it's not hard to make disciples. Hey, you know, I told you earlier that my buddy took me out on the streets and kind of threw me to the dogs and, you know, let me share the gospel for the first time in my life. And I came away from that, like, bitten. Like, I got to do this. I got to get better at this. I got to learn. I got to grow. What did my buddy do? He discipled me that day. That's all it is. He, he just, he said, you know what, I'm going to go out on the streets and share the gospel. I'm going to take, take a new believer with me. And I'm going to show him how to do it for a few minutes. And then we'll say, go do it. Isn't that what he did? And the same is true. Listen, you got a friend that, that, that maybe you're a little further along in Jesus than they are. You just say to him, hey, hey, how about Saturday? Come over to my house. I'll fix a pot of coffee. I'm going to show you how to have a daily devotional. How to spend some time in the Word and prayer. I'm going to teach you how to do it. And so you do it with them. And then you let them know, hey, man, just do this every day. Every day, find some time, get up early enough where you can take 20, 30 minutes with the Lord, just spend some time in the Word, spend some time in prayer, sing a worship song, whatever you want to do. Just, hey, learn and grow and just make sure you spend some time with Jesus every day. You know what? They're going to do it. They're absolutely going to do it. They're going to come away from there going, hey, man, I can do that. And they're going to start having a devotion every day of their life. And you know what? You just took them way further than most Christians ever go. Because most Christians don't have a day of devotion time. And so all of a sudden you just talk. And then what if, me and Brian were talking about this. What if you just take take them and say, hey, you know what? Let's go a little further with that. Why don't you come over? Let's spend the afternoon together next weekend. And I'm going to teach you some just some basic Bible study methods. How to study your Bible. Well, I'm going to tell you, you just took them light years beyond where most Christians ever go. And then maybe you take them out one time. Hey, let's go hit the streets and just share Jesus with some folks. Let's just go down to the mall. Just talk to some people about Jesus. 
you've just taken them. Yeah. They're like, you don't meet many Christians like the one you just trained. And all you did was teach them how to have a devotion with God every day, how to study their Bible, and how to share their faith. That's all you taught them. And now they're like light years ahead of everybody else. I'm telling you the truth. How many can do, you think you could do that? I could sit down with somebody and just have just teach them how to pray. Yeah, you could. Of course you could. Well, he said go into all the world and proclaim the gospel. And the other translation or interpretation of that is go into all the world and make disciples. It all kind of flows together. Proclaim the gospel and make disciples. Okay, let's do tools. That's probably as far as we'll get. Tools for evangelism. Hey, do we have any questions at this point? And don't be shy. I mean, I don't care if we finish our notes or not. So, any questions? I think this is. I think this. It's, yeah, this is my notes. I'm the one I'm looking for. Anybody? Okay. Okay, so we really, we kind of already talked about testimony. And uh, so I'm not going to take a lot of time with that except to say, in fact, right out beside it, right, my story. Because again, if you use the terminology testimony, that's what it is. You're sharing your testimony. But if you're talking to somebody on the street and you say, hey, can I share my testimony with you? They're, either they don't know what it is, and it's a foreign word, and so they're going, I'm not sure. I'm like a little scared about that. So don't, yeah, you don't want to say. And then if they're a backslidden Christian, they know what it is. So they're going, no, no, I'm going to say you. So you don't want to use testimony. Just say my story. Can I, can I tell you my story? And again, I can tell you that I have done that more times than I can count. And I can count on one hand how many times somebody has said to me, no, I don't want to hear it. In fact, less than one. I can only think of two occasions that somebody has said to me, no, don't want to hear your story. Most of the time, they not only say, I want to hear it, they say, I would love to hear it. Please, yes, I'd love to hear your story. So you get an opportunity. So they say that, you, they just said, yes, go ahead and share the gospel with me completely. Great opportunity. Great opportunity. So use your testimony. It's one of the most powerful tools that you have. I have a question. Yes. Okay. Um, there's a guy that works with me, and he's an atheist. Mm -hmm. I tried to start sitting down and talking to him. And what do you do when they ask a question like, there's so many sick kids in the world that haven't done anything wrong. If God, if there is a God, then why does he make kids and people that haven't done anything wrong suffer like that? How okay, do you first of all, them? is there anybody on this planet that has done nothing wrong? Well, I think he was referring to, like, newborn babies. Okay. Well, he needs, I mean, bottom line is he doesn't understand life. He doesn't understand the Word of God. He doesn't understand that sin is in this world. And so all the things he's describing are a product of a fallen world. And uh, the hope of the gospel is that God loved us so much, he, he decided to provide an avenue to fix those problems. And so to blame, to blame God for sick children and for disasters and for all that thing shows a complete misunderstanding of what has happened throughout history up to this time. What actually happened is that man chose to rebel against God 
And the fruit of that has been horrendous, horrendous. And so God loved us so much that he gave his own son to come and live out his life sinless and then to go to the cross to pay the price for our sin, go to the grave, rise again so that we could have new life and we could have hope for a future. So, yeah, there's a lot goes into that um, that basically, I mean, I've literally said to people, okay, whoa, hold everything. Why are you blaming God for what we did? Because we're the ones that sinned, yeah. and he didn't create he didn't create um, the world or humanity for there to be sickness and murder and disease and all these things. Those are all a product of our sinfulness. So okay. that's the short answer. Yeah. Yeah. So anybody else? Yeah. Any questions? What, what, if you, what if you come across and you're talking to someone about uh, God? Uh, about Jesus, and they say, well, you know, I believe, but you don't see the fruits of it in their life. Like someone you work with, they're always, you know, dropping bombs and stuff at work, you know, and stuff like that. What, what do you do with some, something like that? I mean... Okay, as I said, one of the things that I do is when somebody tells me they're a Christian, I'll challenge that assertion just a little bit. Um, like, I will, I will ask them to share with me. Oh, praise God. Well, share with me how... How did you come to Christ? How did you surrender your life to him? And usually right there, they have a look on their face that says, mm, I was lying about being a Christian, you know. So then you have an opportunity to share, to say, hey, could I tell you what it really means to be a Christian? Or I have also said, I can't, I can't even believe how many times I've used this and, and how effective it's been. I go out and I talk to somebody and she says to me, oh, I'm a Christian. And I'll say, oh, well, praise God. I'm glad to hear that. But let me ask you another question. Are you right with God? No, I'm not right with God. Almost every time, that's what they say. <laughs> no, I'm not right with God. Well, again, now you've got an opportunity. I can say, well, I can, I, can, I can share with you how you can really be a Christian and be right with God. Um, so, yeah, here's the thing. Remember, always stick to the, the truth of the gospel, what the Bible says. And... What you'll find is people will, they're actually, a lot of times what they're doing is smokescreen. You know, they're just trying to, they're, they're desperately trying to justify their sin and to, you know, to hide behind something. And so if you just stay with the truth of the gospel, it's actually amazing how many times I've seen people that had some kind of bold argument up front and it melts so fast and right in the presence of the word of God. And uh, that they're ready. And um, like I said, there's times where if somebody is really going to be stubborn and just you know stay in that way of thinking, that at some point I'll just say, hey, you know what? I, I'm going to you know this conversation is really not going very far. So I just want to share a couple of things with you. That'd be okay if I just share a couple of thoughts with you, and then then we'll move on. And usually they will say, oh yeah, that's fine. And so then I just, like I was talking earlier, just truth bomb them. I just say, well, here's the facts, and you need to know them, that all of us have sinned. All of us have come short of the glory of God. We're all guilty before God. And you don't make the rules. I don't make the rules. God makes the rules. And so it doesn't matter whether you like how he is or not. That doesn't, we're going to stand before him on his terms. And then I'll tell him. I'll talk to him about him loving us so much he sent his son into this world, lived a sinless life, went to the grave, rose again so that we could be forgiven. He didn't die for himself. He died for our sin. And usually I'll use the, the um, uh, 
he, he who was without sin became sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So I'll just give them the basics of the gospel and then say, hey, have a nice day and move on. Because at some point I realize I'm not getting anywhere with this guy anyway, but he needs to know the truth. So I'll be sure he gets a point-by-point explanation of what the gospel is. Does that make sense? Yeah. Anybody else? Questions? Is that kind of like the same thing that you do for the people who don't want to hear your story? I mean, you just do the same response? No, if somebody, well, it depends on how they're coming off. But if somebody is to me like, hey, dude, I don't want to hear nothing you have to say. I'm like, cool, have a great day. You know, I mean... I don't push that at all. Okay. Um, if uh, I mean, if they're sending me every signal that says, um, you know, I got, I'm not listening to you. I'm bored to tears. Then again, I'll just say, hey, man, you know what? Have a great day, and I'll move on because there's no point in me just spinning my wheels. Mm-hmm. And I, I, one thing I never want to do, I don't want somebody giving me a false conversion. You know, they're just doing what I want them to do to get me off their back. So if I sense that there's no sincerity here at all, depending on depending on how aggressive they're being, I'm, I may truth bomb them, just give them the gospel and move on, or I may just say, hey, have a great day. I, don't want, I, I didn't mean to bother you and, you know, go on my way. So Now, again, in the best setting, you're sitting in... Well, I would say Starbucks, but I've heard some of you are fasting that. So uh, you're sitting in Dunkin' Donuts or where? And uh, you're with your, your friend, and you're just having an opportunity to share the gospel with them. Just to say, hey, can I tell you what, you know, what Christ did in my life? Or, you know, at whatever point. I mean, there, there comes a point where if you're friends with somebody long enough and you care about their soul... That if you're not getting anywhere with them and they're not asking you any leading questions, that at some point you just sit down with them and say, hey, you know what? I, I, I love you. You're my friend. And I'm concerned about where you're going to spend eternity. I think there's times we just need to be that bold. You know, just go ahead and deal with it up front. Because if you're not getting there any other way, at some point you just say, hey, you know what? You're my friend. I love you and I care about you. And so we need to talk about what about when you die? What's going to happen? Any other questions? Yes, I see that hand. What if, um, what if your friend argues with you? Okay, because we can't judge if someone is saved or not. Um, people can tell us, you know, that they've been saved, but their the way they live tells different. You know, it makes to us it portrays that that's maybe not true. So if they argue, you know, and they say, "Well, I'm saved. I'm a Christian." Okay. Okay. Your actions are reflecting different. Right. You know? Do you understand what I'm saying? I, I know exactly what you're saying. And let me just tell you something that it it is it is a world a world that is hostile to the gospel and the truth of God's word that told you you can't judge because the Bible didn't tell you that. The Bible says you're supposed to judge. In fact, it says specifically judge righteous judgment. It says also you'll know a tree by its fruit. Didn't Jesus say that? You'll know. What does that mean? If I'm going to know a tree by its fruit, what does that mean? It means I'm judging. I'm evaluating, does the fruit I see on this tree tell me it's an apple tree? I I thought this was an apple tree, but I see oranges. Well, I just made a judgment. I decided this tree is not an apple tree. It's actually an orange tree. You see what I'm saying? 
So, it, you know, the number one verse, if you ask me to quote a verse now in society, it's judge not lest you be judged. Used to it was John 3.16. But there's this mentality, and basically, let me, let me tell you what that mentality is. Nobody can judge me but God. Well, God is going to judge you. But the bottom line is, what you're really saying is, I'm a sinner, but leave me alone about it. Well, that's not, the Bible doesn't teach that at all. It says I'm supposed to judge. Okay, I'm not supposed to, you know, just, you know, all of y'all are on your way to hell. Not that kind of judgment. It's a thing of I'm looking at your life and something doesn't line up here. You know? I mean, I mean, as much as I hate to say this, a boy that I love dearly and have worked with for a couple of years just died of a heroin overdose. And um, I did part of the funeral. The other part of the funeral, they were all... 100% sure they're putting him in heaven. I'm going to be honest with you. I knew too much about him. I mean, I hope he's in heaven, you know? I mean, somehow I hope the grace of God extends, you know, really far. But there's also a part of me that says, no, no, no. You don't go out and lie to everybody and shoot dope and sleep with any girl that comes along and then make heaven your home. It, 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 that's not biblical. It's not right. And so, yeah, I got a real conflict. What am I doing? I'm kind of judging. I mean, I, I don't want to send him to hell, but at the same time, I saw a lot about his life that says to me, no, he did not in reality know Christ. If he did, he rejected him and walked away from him. So, yeah, I think you can evaluate. And so there comes a point where you can say, if it's truly your friend, you can say, you know what, I'm going to just be honest with you. There's a lot going on in your life that doesn't line up with who Christ is. Or you could just take the easy road and go tell him everything that Jesus said about what it means to be his disciple. Ooh, that'll get you. That'll get you thrown out of the church in America. Yeah. Just go tell him. Because Jesus had some pretty straight things to say. You want to be my disciple? Then deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me every day. And that's pretty, pretty straightforward. And he said things like, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. He also said, why do you call me Lord? but you don't do what I say. Right. So there's a whole lot of places you can go with that. that. Does that help you? Yeah. Okay. Any, anybody else? Any questions? Yeah. Do you find that people uh, distance their self from you, especially if they um, didn't actually receive Christ into their life, and they see you come and they're like, oh, here's the Bible person, you know, blah, 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 whatever, and kind of dodge you? Yeah, I mean, that's certainly possible. Um, but you know what I actually find? Um, yeah, I hate to, I hate to say this about myself, but I love people, and they know I love them. Now, let me use another example. Dogs love me because I love dogs. <laughs> it's true. It's true. And people will say, oh, no, no, you better leave him alone. And I'm like, he's like, I love him. <laughs> and they're going, he never just let anybody even near him. And you know why dogs love me? Because I love dogs. They know it. They can tell I love them. The same truth. The same is true of people. I mean, I hang out with people that are there, so lost and full of sin. And yes, I, I'm sure that my life convicts them to some degree, or Christ in me convicts them. But they know I love them. And so they come. They'll come willingly and hear what I have to say. Yeah, are there, is there going to be some people out there that are, you know, stiff on them? Yeah, yeah, that's, that's, of course, that's going to happen, I'm sure. But for the most part, not really that much. 
most of the time I have people that, like, I mean, just the other night, I was stunned by back-to-back, two people came up to me and was just confessing garbage going on in their life, and I didn't ask them to come confess sin to me, you know, I'm not their priest, but it's like they just knew, he, this guy loves me, and he'll pray for me, and he'll tell me the truth, so I kind of think that's how it is, when you love people, they know it. And no matter what, they, they may hate what you stand for, or they may hate that their, their life is in sin, but they still know you love them. So, anybody else? We're doing seconds on pizza now? Any other questions? I, I mean, I'm certainly open to, I, we can do this the rest of the time. Any other questions? Okay, let me hit it just a couple of these. I, I got on there a small Bible. But actually, with your most of you have a smartphone now, and so you can download U version or actually a whole bunch of others. But you got tons of free available Bible stuff. And man, if you can't memorize the Romans Road, just go. I'm sure you can probably find an app that'll give you the Romans Road, or you can at least go to Google and you know have some basic truths. But I'd, I'd encourage you actually to learn them because that way you got them. What, what? On your smartphone, if you don't have this app, you ought to get it. Gotquestions.org. Gotquestions.org. Gotgotquestions.org. It answers most of the questions that are brought up or that you might have even. It's a really good database of often asked questions, and I've yet to find one that I just absolutely disagree with. Most of them have been really good answers. Put that on your smartphone. Yeah, and and yeah, like on your smartphone now, there's you got so many tools available to you. you got, like I said, you just put version on there and you've got like humpteen million translations and commentaries and, you know, everything under the sun. And then you can always Google something if you have a question or whatever. So, yeah, a lot of stuff that's available to you. And then I've got tracks on your, on your worksheet, tracks. That's like gospel tracks. And let me tell you two things about tracks. Number one is I think they're super duper. Because I've seen a lot of people get saved just from a track. You know what I'm talking about, gospel track, right? It's going to give you some little message and usually maybe, you know, a three-point thing. You're a sinner, Christ died for you, blah, blah, blah. And then maybe a little sinner's prayer on it. Um, I think they're super duper. I've actually, I've got a very close friend who's one of the mightiest men of God I know. You know how he got saved? He grew up in a family that was godless. Well, they actually went to a denominational church, but they were still God. His church was godless, and his family was godless, and he was godless. And he was walking down the street one fall here in Alabama, and somebody gave him a track, and he looked at it and didn't even engage in conversation, just took it, stuck in his pocket, went on his way. And uh, actually, I said in fall, it was actually in the spring. And so right after that, he parked his jacket in the closet. Well, that fall, cold snap hit. And also, he was going through a crisis in his life. He got that jacket out, found that track. He said, I sat down on the edge of my bed, and I read that track from beginning to end. It had a sinner's prayer. He said, I prayed that prayer. And he said, for two weeks after that, as far as I knew, I was the only Christian on planet Earth. (laughs) So he told me, it said, read your Bible every day. Pray every day. And so he started doing that. But it also said, get involved in a local church. Well, he didn't know where to go. And he knew the church he grew up in. They didn't even talk about Jesus. And... So he ended up meeting some other Christians, somehow I think through a little Bible study he heard about, and started growing in the Lord, and yet today he's a Christian leader in the Dallas-Fort Worth area, got saved because of a trap. Well, I think they're super duper. 
I would recommend you find a track you really like and keep some with you. And that way, if you're somewhere and you get an opportunity, maybe you talk to somebody and don't get very far, say, hey, can I just give you something? Just stick that in your pocket. Read it later. That's perfect. Great way to do it. Now, flip side of the coin. Don't ever become dependent upon tracks. In fact, there's, back when I was doing a whole lot more street work than I am today, although I still do some today, there were times I would intentionally not take tracks because I could get in the rut of just handing people tracks. And I don't want to do that. I want to actually engage them in conversation. So if you don't have anything to hand them, you have to talk to them. So I'd make, so don't ever come to a place where you just, you know, as a cop out, you're just handing out a track. No, actually engage in conversation. And then, you know, you've got a track available if, you know, if you need to. But, and don't just leave them on the table as a tip. Well, unless you're going to leave a hefty tip with it. That's right. Yeah, if you leave it on the table, you better leave a hefty tip with it. Illustrations. I'm not going to go any further than that just to say, go learn that one verse method. Six, Romans 6.23, one verse. That'll give you the bridge, which is a little thing you can draw out, and it's a great illustration. Um, attention getters. Now, this is really designed more for like what we do in New Orleans, or if you were at like some kind of festival around here, well, you may want to do something to draw attention. Like, for example, I don't know what you have here in this, you know, here south of Birmingham, but maybe you have a fall festival or whatever, or apple festival, I don't know. But some, you know, there's some kind of big gathering. And I've heard of churches that, like, rent a booth that they're at the event and maybe just put, got questions or need prayer. I mean, just something up there. To say, hey, we're over here. You want to come talk? Here we are. And you know, you might think that nobody would come. I can guarantee you, you'd have a steady stream all night long. People coming, people coming, people coming. Sometimes I go down near Mardi Gras. I just take a, a little white placard with a red question mark on, a, basically it's on PVC pipe. And I just go stand right in the middle of Bourbon Street and hold that sign, question mark. And you know what I'll do? I'll spend the next four or five hours talking one person, right after the other, sharing the gospel, sharing the gospel, sharing the... Most of them come up to me and say, what the blankety blank is that question mark for? And I'll just look right at them and say, it was just to get you to stop and talk to me, and then i start sharing the gospel with them. Just, I mean, who, hey, bottom line, I don't care. I don't care why they come or what they say to me. I wanted them to come so that I could give an, get an opportunity to speak into their life. So, you know, these, now, of course, you probably don't want to do this out in the middle of your street. <laughs> they might have you ever be. seen an old lakeshore? <clears throat> I absolutely have. Yeah. I absolutely have. And you know what? I'm going to be honest with you. There has been a temptation in the past to think, oh, those guys are crazy. But you know what? I've actually gotten out and talked to a few of them. And some of them are just as solid as they can be. It's just mm -hmm. what God has told them yeah, to do. he's very dedicated. Yeah, and I'm just like, hey, good, do it. I don't care. I mean, I, I there was a guy who used to stand in Hartsfield International Airport, Atlanta Airport. And which, you know, I mean, you've got like a bazillion people walking through there every day. And he just stood there holding a sign for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And, you know, I thought that old guy's crazy. And the Lord said, no, why don't you just go talk to him and give him some money while you're at it. And so I went over there and I started talking to him. Man, he was one of the greatest guys I've ever met in my life. And I handed him some money and he said, praise God, bro. That's exactly what it cost me to park here today. Yeah. Great guy. Just wanted to share the gospel with people. And so don't necessarily think just because somebody uses 
you know, what you might think is a little unconventional that they're crazy. No, well, there are crazies out there too. But, <laughs> but sometimes, hey man, it's just, a, you know, they just want to share Jesus. So attention getters. And then last but not least is spiritual gifts. You may say, well, I don't know how to flow in the gifts. Well, the very first thing to do is say, God, fill me with your spirit and teach me how to flow in the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And he will. It's his job to teach you. But then also this this guy. Come and say, hey, pastor, do we have anything on, it'll teach us how to flow in the gifts of the spirit? I bet he'll hook you up. So spiritual gifts. Learn. Because I can't tell you how many times that I'm just talking to somebody, and sometimes I knew it. Sometimes I know God just dropped something in my heart for them. But sometimes I just say something. I just start talking to them about something, and I've literally had people on more than one occasion go, how did you know that about me? I'm like, I don't even know what I said. You know, I mean, I'm not even sure. I couldn't even connect how, but it said something to them. Whatever I said, they're going, you just exposed the secret of my heart. Isn't that what God said he'll do? Through prophetic words and through gifts of knowledge and all that kind of stuff that he will expose the secrets of their heart. And so he'll do it. And you know what they're doing then? They're going, this is God. This is God. God is here. And so, man, you're a long way down the road when somebody's already saying, this is God. God just sent you to me. They're ready. They're open to the gospel because they perceive that it's a divine appointment. Amen. Okay, any other questions? Okay, tomorrow come. I'm going to preach a word that I hope will challenge you to go out and be radical to Jesus. I mean radical in a good way. You know, radical means to get to the root, to, to get to the beginning. So we want to be radical, like Jesus. Amen.